Maverick News presents The Rick Walker Show Defrag Your Mind Oh my, 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 did it again. There we go, the logo is down. And now you can see my smiling face. How is everybody tonight? Welcome back to the Maverick News Channel. Hello, Maverick family and new viewers from all over the world. What a show we have for you tonight. Wow, we have so much. So where to begin? Well, let's give you the headlines. We're going to update the situation in Israel-Palestine. Vladimir Putin's statement today with regard to all of that. We have Kevin Michalitsi, journalist in uh, Crimea. He, of course, friend of the show, Maverick uh, News contributor. We're going to do an interview with him to find out what happened with that mob that... Showed up at that Russian airport or Dagestan airport, and they were there because they thought there was a plane load of Israeli refugees that had landed, and they went after them. In some cases, they checked passports to find out if they were Jews. We're seeing a rise in anti Semitism around the world, folks, and what we're witnessing is exactly what I told you we would see. I said this weeks ago, probably for the first time about two months ago, again, about a month ago, again, several times in the past couple of weeks, I said that the word elite would soon be replaced as some people with anti-Semitic narratives would pivot and replace that word elites with Jew. And that's what we're seeing. For me, it's very concerning. For others, well, I think that they're determined to repeat history. We'll talk about that. And who's behind? A lot of what we're seeing, this chaos. Well, if you ask Vladimir Putin today, he'll tell you that it's the West. If you ask some others, they'll tell you it's the Ukrainians that are causing all of this chaos in the world. And if you ask some people on the other side, they'll tell you it's the Russians and Chinese. In fact, the Canadian military has declared that Russia and China are at war with Canada. And I would say by extension, the United States in a, an actual document now declaring that that is the case. And as a result of that, I'm going to show you what appear to be Russian fingerprints on an information warfare campaign on this side designed to create chaos distrust in government, 
and to get a reaction that honestly is somewhat anti-Semitic. And then I'll also explain tonight, at least in my view, why we're seeing anti-Semitic rhetoric and actions across the political spectrum from the left to the right and from the right to the left. And then, just because this is perhaps the most stacked show we've had maybe ever, we have an interview with Bitcoin Ben. Now, you might think that's a trivial thing. Oh, it's just an interview about Bitcoin. No, it's not. Bitcoin Ben is going to talk about the future, not just of currencies. He's going to talk to us about central bank digital currencies. He's going to explain why, in his view, they won't work. You're going to want to listen to that. I know that a lot of people are very concerned about CBDCs. And he has a very interesting take on it. He'll also explain his view on why Bitcoin is directly tied to the situation in Israel. How Bitcoin is destined to reshape our entire economy, our future, our countries, our way of life, and how Bitcoin could be a vehicle that could free the entire world. So we'll get into that with Bitcoin Ben. Um, and yes, Leo, man on the scene, mouth of the South, action news reporter extraordinaire was out on the prowl overnight. What did he come across? An ATM, an instant teller, cash machine. Talk about a smash and grab. Somebody destroyed the thing and there has been an arrest and Leo was there on the scene has footage and we'll share that with you tonight as well. So we have that and more, including reaction from the white house to Vladimir Putin's statement today where he reacts to this, well, I'll say it wasn't just a protest. It was something a whole lot more. It was like a witch hunt for Jews at an airport. We'll get into it all when we come back on the other side. Do not go away. You can sit back and uh, get comfortable in your whole seat. But when you come back, you're only going to need the edge. Greetings, brave mavericks. Our quest for truth continues. We go beyond fake news. Together we expose propaganda. Together we pull others out of rabbit holes. We are maverick thinkers. We are all unique individuals, individuals, defenders of individual rights and freedoms, credible, trusted, grounded in reality. Maverick News, Maverick, Maverick News.
Defending free speech. Free speech. Donate at freedomreporters.com. Do it now. Tomorrow. Maybe too late. Too late. Too late. Too late. Maverick News. The world is watching. Okay, let's show you some video of what went down to that airport. This is uh, this is Russian. This is a situation where people, mo- a mostly Muslim crowd, it appears, descends on an airport because they believe that there is a plane arriving with Jewish. Refugees aboard. Hang on, I just need to uh, do that. And this is what it looked like last night. Share this with you. see what else I have for you here. Here's additional footage. You've got a paramilitary unit there moving in to restore order. Firing shots into the air. And here's some additional footage. 
Here we go. I believe they kick in the glass. Like Palestinian flags. So Vladimir Putin did make a statement today with regard to this. In fact, let me just, um, I have sort of a, I wish I hadn't had that noise come in here. He, he says, when you look at Bloody children, dead children, how women, old people suffer, how doctors die and fists clench and tears well up in your eyes. You can't see it any other way, but we shouldn't, we don't have the right to allow ourselves to be guided. Let me just get to the rest of the statement here. Guided by emotions, he says, we must clearly understand who is really behind the tragedy of the people of the Middle East and other regions of the world who organizes deadly chaos and who benefits from it. Today, this has become obvious and clear to everyone. The customers act openly and brazenly. It is the ruling elites of the United States and their satellites that are the main beneficiaries of global instability. Interesting choice of words. Global elites. Here's a clip today from Vladimir Putin. One moment while I get this queued up and put on the screen for you. The global elites. Wrong tab, wrong tab. Here it is. We stand for the establishment of the full-fledged Palestinian state. Stipulated our position, declared our position, and it has, hasn't changed across the years. We stand for the establishment of the full-fledged Palestinian state. Stipulated our position. So that's Putin. I'll play it one more time for you. Here you go hasn't changed across the years. We stand, stipulated our position, declared our position, and it has, 
hasn't changed across the years. We stand for the establishment of the full-fledged Palestinian state. So that's Putin on that. Um, we're seeing just openly now, instead of the word elite, we're seeing people use the word Jew. Just openly. Just Jew. And what do they mean by Jew? They mean the elites. They mean the people in control. They mean, and this is the narrative, that it is anybody, should I say anybody? No. It's Jews who are not necessarily even Jewish. There are fake Jews. It's people who control in their minds, media, pharmaceutical companies, banking. It's the age-old anti-Semitic, anti-Jew rhetoric. It's the same rhetoric we heard from Germany, uh, you know, prior to and during World War II. It's the same rhetoric that we heard well before the establishment of Nazism. It's, a, it's all based in prejudice and scapegoating, in my opinion. And you can find the roots of this and the, the repeat of this in the pogroms. Not the just the Holocaust. The Holocaust was something that happened in World War II. But long before Hitler was ever born, Jews were being persecuted around the world. Long before Hitler was ever born, back in the 1800s, there were pogroms. What's a pogrom? Let me bring up this and show you. If you don't know, and I'm sure many of you don't, here's from the Holocaust Encyclopedia. Pogroms. Pogrom is a Russian word meaning to wreak havoc, to demolish violently. Historically, the term refers to violent attacks by local non-Jewish populations on Jews in the Russian Empire and in other countries. The first such incident to be labeled a pogrom is believed to be anti-Jewish rioting in Odessa in 1821. As a descriptive term, pogrom came into common usage with extensive anti-Jewish riots that swept the southern and western provinces of the Russian Empire in 1881 to 1884, following the assassination of Tsar Alexander II. The perpetrators of pogroms organized locally, sometimes with government aid, um, or government and police encouragement, rather. They raped and murdered their Jewish victims and looted their property. 
during the civil war that followed the 1917 Bolshevik Revolution. Ukrainian nationalists, Polish officials, and Red Army spiders, spliders, no spiders, spidies, sorry, don't have my glasses on, all engaged in pogrom-like violence in Western Belarusia or Belarus and Poland's Galicia province, killing tens of thousands of Jews. And it goes on. So these are pogroms. But it's not just a Nazi thing. Happened in Russia. Long before Hitler was ever born. Long before the Nazi, the National Socialist Party was ever created in Germany. And it happened in other countries too. And the narrative was always basically the same. And here we go again. Here we go again. And it was on full display there at that airport. And it's on full display in the streets of Canada and the United States and in countries around the world tonight in demonstrations, protests, some of which are becoming violent. And people are <laughs> rushing to take sides in this dispute, this war. I'm siding with Israel. I'm siding with Palestine. Yeah, both sides want to wipe the other out. But it's Israel right now that is losing the information war. Of that, I am sure. And as a result, we are seeing what we saw at that airport. People want to kill each other. And the Jews are being persecuted. Now, I don't agree with it. I'm flabbergasted. Can't believe I'm sitting here tonight talking about this. But the truth is, it's been something that's been in the works for quite a long time. And frankly, to sit here and, uh, and listen to people simplify it with cliches and just labels or lay blame one way or the other. You know, the, this persecution of the Jews. It, it, um, it's also not right. I, I just, I, I again, tonight, I'm not going to get into the nitty gritty and the, the deep details on this. But I'm just going to show you some of the receipts here, okay? Just to, to show you that this is really actually happening. The unfortunate thing is I know that some people watching tonight are going to see this and shrug their shoulders and go, yeah, so that's right. But no, it isn't right. There's right and wrong. That's for sure. And persecuting any group of people with some sort of collective punishment 
is simply wrong. It's wrong for Israel to be bombing indiscriminately residential areas and killing civilians. It was wrong of Hamas to kill innocent civilians. Nobody's right when everybody's wrong. And if you don't think the Holocaust couldn't happen again, think again. Because here's, um, this is an online church. And I'm not even sure what, <laughs> what religion this actually is. It seems more like a propaganda channel, to be quite frank. And what are they calling for? They're calling for a return to pogroms. In fact, at one point during this video, I believe the language used was make pogroms great again. While the person behind this church or this church service online talks about loving everyone. The whole video is really about persecute, persecuting Jews. There are different classifications for Jews. This person talks about making pogroms great again. Yeah, people died in those pogroms. A lot of Jews. And that all happened before the Nazis. They don't have the whole story. They rejected the rest of the story. And that story was when the light of truth came into your world and you all fucking rejected it and you reject it today. And now we all have to deal with it. So I say, just let everybody know who these people are. Make them mark themselves. Once again, if, if Alan Dershowitz is right, don't do that. Don't be hide. We've, we've, you know, we've contributed disproportionately to the, to the success of this. Wait, aren't we all pissed off because our world's going to shit? And they're literally saying we did that. So just mark it. Be proud of your religion. I am very proud of it. Write books on it. We do sermons every Sunday. Relegate them to pogroms again. Give them a West Bank. Marty, that's so terrible. Is it? Is it? Is it so bad to say that these people should be relegated to pogroms? When you find out that they were behind the whole COVID, the, literally followers of Judaism were behind the whole COVID thing. And then we're behind all the, you know, the, the political candidates. And then of course they're behind all of the media and then they're, you know, behind porn. And then when you, you know, find out that they're behind all of the mass immigration that's really fucking up countries everywhere. And then you find out that it was like oh, abortion and population control is like, and then you look at the federal reserve and stuff like that. And you look at, you know, it's like, Oh, is it Hollywood? Look at Hollywood. Okay. And then we look at it. So you just, you know, you just go down the list and then you realize that it's like, if they're causing all of this, pro all of these problems in the world, relegating them to an area and saying, hey, they're proud of this is the most loving, heartful, kind, compassionate thing you could do. Because remember, according to our laws in the United States, if these people are guilty of exactly what they're guilty of, then our laws call for what? Where is it? Sorry. Death. Imprisonment.
Doesn't sound like a very loving church to me. What's an elite? What's a Jew? What's a Nazi? This is about hate. This is about prejudice. It's about bigotry. It's about scapegoating. And you're seeing people from across the political spectrum coming together in the streets, joining in a a, a united voice. Free, free Palestine. And what am I seeing in the streets? I'm seeing the same damn people who are out there protesting with BLM. I'm seeing people in yellow vests standing in front of people that they don't like, who maybe have a neutral or contrary opinion to what they have, blocking cameras, getting up in people's faces, imposing censorship. It's, it's the Antifa crowd now wearing yellow vests and taking the side of the Palestinians. I'm seeing people from all different political stripes out there. And that's the truth. I don't know if people are actually thinking but that's what's going on in the streets. And I'm seeing just an overall overarching desire to tear down the entire damn country. And again, that is coming from people across the political spectrum as well. And yes, that includes the communists. Absolutely does. I see people on the, if you want to call it the far right, and I see people on the far left. I see Marxists. I see libertarians. I see neoliberals. Oh, no, no, it, no, that can't be right, Rick. Oh, no, yes, it is. Yeah, and they do. I see people who want to just tear the whole damn country down. And I see political opportunists out there from different political parties, organizations, external governments, all taking shots at the West, at Canada, at the United States. And no question, we have some bad leadership. We have some bad people in government, in power right now. And I would say there is a lot of evidence to suggest that even the people in power may be actually working against the best interests of our, our own people and our own government. But I am concerned that some people want to tear down the whole system. And I would argue that now more than ever, we need the system. But before I explain that, I want to show you, I want to prove to you that I'm not making crap up. It's coming from all sides. Here are the communists. What do they want? They want a revolution, one solution, revolution. What have we heard in the streets? This is Marxist.ca. This is a post about the Palestinian situation and the war. 
and they are taking an anti-government, pro-Palestinian position, pretty hard line. And when I say that people want to overthrow the government, well, I'm not making it up. I'm sorry, I'm not. They say it right here. Living in Canada, it's easy to feel powerless about the occupation of Gaza and the daily terror inflicted on Palestinians. Do we have more power than we realize as long as we can get organized? Canadian imperialism and its political representatives explicitly support the Israeli state's atrocities against Palestinians. The liberals and conservatives have exactly the same position on this, while the NDP is propping up the same liberal government that supports Palestinian oppression. Okay. Blah, 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 blah. We should focus on these demands. Both the liberals and conservatives should be denounced for supporting the Israeli regime's oppression of the Palestinian people. The Canadian government must cut all ties and support with the Israeli state, including the arms trade. You know what's going to happen to Israel? If all support is pulled, Israel wouldn't be able to defend itself. And it would, there would be a holocaust. Guaranteed. Says here, the capitalist media should be condemned for its, its lies about the Israeli occupation of Palestinians. High schools and universities should tell the truth about the history of the Israeli state and Canadian imperialism and their many crimes against the Palestinians. Canadian universities should refuse investment and deals in the arms industry. Some, I mean, some of this stuff, it's like, I get it. I'm sympathetic, maybe even agree with some of this stuff, other stuff. I see a, a, you know, a larger overriding agenda, which concerns me. It says none of this will happen just because we ask nicely. The government, the bosses, the capitalist media, university administrators and high school administrations will all try to ignore us. So we have to make them listen. And it goes on and on and on. And then just to show you that I am not exaggerating in any way. Scroll down. Right here, it says, above all, we need to overthrow our own imperialist government in Canada and the capitalist system it represents. Their words, not mine. Seems a lot of people just want to throw the system out. Yeah, well, you know what we have? We have a democracy. You know how you're supposed to get rid of the government in a democracy? You vote so that people don't die, so that you don't have to pick up a gun. That's the system. I believe in that. And, you know, when you think back to when Donald Trump was elected, he represented a great big middle finger to the establishment. He represented something that people embraced at the time. He spoke to the middle class, to the working class, in a way that the socialists never, ever did. 
certainly in a way that the communists never did either. No question, we do have a fascistic economic system with a marriage between government and corporations, which is the very definition of fascism or a fascistic economic system. And as a result, it's the working class that have ultimately suffered because it is a form of socialism that they have employed. We do have socialism. Fascistic, a fascistic form of socialism, which I don't think, honestly, in my opinion, is that much different than a communistic form of socialism either. It's just the one is corporate based and the other is all about state control. But Trump, he resonated with the voters because even though the jobs had been outsourced, even though people had lost their homes, the country was on the verge of bankruptcy, even though everything had been leveraged with so much debt and so much money had been printed, inflation was at such a, a, a peak the people's spending power, their savings had been decimated. Even though some people had lost hope, you know the one thing that they still damn well had? The one thing. The one thing that you still have, no matter what, that the government can't take away from you because it's constitutionally protected. The one thing is your damn vote democracy. At least you have that. And that's what got Donald Trump elected. It was the people. Did it work out the way people had hoped? No. Was he attacked? Yes. They hated him for a variety of reasons. And they came after him. They're still coming after him. And does he represent still what he represented then? I don't know. But at the time, it was a, a, a historic moment when people embraced that one damn thing that they still had, their vote. They still had their voice. They still had a say. And they spoke out en masse, and they got the result, proving that the system can work, doesn't always work. And yes, there is corruption. But the people overcame on that day when Donald Trump was elected. And it's still there. I say to you now, this is my position. We need the system now more than ever. We need to get rid of the leadership of the government that we have in place. No question in my mind at all. I believe that Justin Trudeau is corrupt as hell. I believe Joe Biden is corrupt as hell. I believe that they do not represent the best interests of the people. But the answer is not to overthrow the government. The answer is not to dismantle or burn the system down. Because if you burn down a democratic system, what are you left with on the other side? Some sort of a dictatorship. That's the alternative. And those people peddling that to you, that there's no political solution, that there's no hope, 
Why even bother to vote? They're the ones who will be in charge in the end, right? And do you think they're going to give you a vote? Tonight, the Canadian, the head of the Canadian military, Wayne Ayers, says that Canada is at war, or I should say accurately, he's saying that China and Russia are at war with Canada. And Canada's Defense Department is saying that, you know, we need to be taking some different strategies and dealing with this in some new ways because a lot of this involves information warfare cyber warfare, other forms of warfare. Now, I'm a Canadian and I love my country and I see exactly what's going on. And I know that we engage in propaganda and cyber warfare overseas and maybe even right here at home. In fact, I'm sure we do. And I know that the CIA does as well. No question about it. The United States has been meddling in foreign affairs and the foreign affairs of the affairs of other governments for far too long and in totally inappropriate ways. No question in my mind, but I know it's coming back the other way as well. All that being said, I think our only hope is democracy. Our only hope is to preserve the system. Get rid of the politicians who deserve to be ousted and do that at the ballot box. When I see Marxists or communists saying that they want to overthrow the government while they're supporting Palestinians by marching in the streets and protests that have turned clearly anti-Semitic, I get very, very worried when I see people on the other side of the political spectrum, on the far right, if you want to call it that, using exactly the same language. I get very, very concerned. And what is that language? It really comes down to this. You can take all the anti-Semitism stuff kind of out of it, okay? There's, they've been, like cultural Marxists do so well, they redefine words. They They've been peddling this anti-Semitic message by cloaking the real messaging in fancy language. Again, using the phrase elite instead of Jew. And then what do they mean by Jew? Well, they really mean it's not just Jewish people or Jewish people of, you know, who believe in Judaism. They're different kinds of Jews. They've got them all sort of classified. And most specifically, they refer to Kazarian or Ashkenazi Jews. What's, What's that? I mean, really what it is, is they're saying it's the people with the money and the power. And then there are also people 
who have to be held accountable as well because they might not actually be Jew, but they're compromised and they've been bought off by the Jews. And those are the Gentiles. And so really, it's it's turned into anti-Semitism without the Jews. So it's anybody they want. But still with Jewish people at the heart of it. And because it's scapegoating and it is... Um, it's so prejudicial and it targets just a specific group of people by name. We're running the risk here of collective punishment across the board again, just like we saw in World War II, just like we saw before World War II in the pogroms where innocent people are targeted and killed, beaten up, abused, imprisoned just because of their faith or their race or because they're, they stand accused of something, of conspiring with. And there's so much anger out there now and so much hatred because of coming through three years of pandemics lockdowns and masks and mandatory vaccines and the rhetoric on both sides, all sides that came with that, making people angry, eroding trust in government, truckers beaten in the street, innocent protesters, government responding in a completely irrational way, making the big mistake of essentially in Canada going to war with its own people. It undermined confidence and trust in, in government and so many of our institutions and our police. And make no mistake, people in power, other governments, they're taking advantage of that with ongoing propaganda, information warfare coming right back at us, just like the CIA has been doing to them. They're doing it to you. They're deep in there and they're running very sophisticated operations of, of that, I'm sure. And where am I finding this? Everywhere, online, in the Q movement. I, I know it's there. I know it is. Here's a, this is a video that is um, Q-based, one of the Q groups or organizations. And listen, I'm going to, I'm going to run this and listen to the language and I'll stop it periodically to show you that the fingerprints, that there are Russian and Chinese fingerprints all over this. All over it. Let me cue it up for you. You just have to ask yourself, who benefits from this? Here we go. 
And this is like a, it's supposed to be a notice to Canada. And don't just dismiss this stuff. There are elements of truth all through this, but it's also manipulative. It's very powerful. It might not seem like much, but listen to the language very carefully. And I will stop and comment periodically through it. Public Notice 980.2 to Airship Fortress and the people of Canada. Regarding the transition to natural law from Cindy K. Courier, date 980. An article published in the Regina Leader Post, dated October 26, 2023, says that an unreleased concept paper obtained by the Leader Post through alternative sources describes Russia and China as being at war with Canada. According to the article, the concept paper calls for Canadian military to quickly embrace artificial intelligence in its battle against adversaries. At the same time, an October 23rd Progress Post article entitled, What is the Save the Children Convoy and What Do They Really Believe? Journalist Luke LeBron describes the convoy group's secret plot to take over and replace the Canadian government by force. Canadian anxiety over being captured and controlled by Russia and China is understandable, especially given the rhetoric coming from your neighbors in Washington, D.C. However, I'd like to shed a different light on the situation. On February 6, 2023, the Court of Ages issued an order for Russia and China to assist the United States in a peaceful transition to natural law, which would inevitably lead to a peaceful transition across the world. So what's the Court of Ages? It's like a fictitious QAnon-based court, as best I can tell, that really carries no force or effect. Public order number 716.1. But could, I suppose, if the government was overthrown, Uh, but at the moment, no. That being said, don't entirely dismiss this stuff. This is about convincing people of something. And again, listen to the language and listen to the connection between the group, China, and Russia. Ending worldwide genocide. Whereas evidence suggests that the United States Department of Defense, all three branches of the U.S. corporate government, the World Health Organization. And because they're referring to the government as a corporation, of course, they're suggesting that our government is not legitimate at all, which is where everyone, that's the entry point for the entire thing. The Federal Reserve, the Bank of International Settlements, Pfizer, and Moderna have colluded to implement a worldwide genocide operation. And whereas it appears there is no positive element of the U.S. military, law enforcement, or militia willing or able to take on the United States in this matter, be it known that Russia and China are now hereby ordered to immediately arrest and detain all members of the above-named organizations in alignment with natural law as expressed in the Court of Ages, Law of the Land Handbook, by whatever means necessary. Be it also known that once arrests are complete and the nation is secure, Russia and China 
are hereby ordered to assist the United States in a peaceful and orderly transition to natural law. So they're, they're basically here, this whole group, and there are millions of these people giving the green light to Russia and China to come in here and effect arrests on U.S. soil and Canadian soil, arrest government officials, heads of corporations, the elites. China and Russia are here in North America to assist, not to take over. Public Notice 980.1. To assist but not take over. During the Freedom Convoy, people were worried that United Nations forces might end up on Canadian soil. People were, are worried that China, have been worried that Chinese military might be on Canadian soil. And now suddenly, people want it. <laughs> the same people who were worried before are now worried that, that, that we're going to have Chinese military on Canadian or U.S. soil now wanted. And they, they think that it would be a positive thing. Who benefits from that? The United States? They're here to assist but they're taking on the U.S. military and the Canadian military. And we're seeing that the Canadian military, the head of the Defense Department in Canada tonight, is saying that we are actually at war with, with Russia and China. This is why. This is one of the reasons why. And what do they mean when they say affect arrests? Who are they going to go after? Well, let me see if I still have it queued up here. They're going to go after the Jews. They're going to go after the elites, the people. They're going to go after the people that they say are responsible for The pandemic. And you saw in that previous video from that church, you saw him go and name or identify a whole bunch of people, didn't we? So here's this guy. Um, who is then conflating it to Zionists. What's a Zionist? A Zionist is... Anyone really that supports the uh, preservation and expansion, maybe even, or the certainly the preservation of Israel as a sovereign nation state. And this guy here, blaming the Zionists for the whole pandemic. Who's in charge of the CDC that was controlling and telling our government to shut down small businesses and what they recommend for the mandates and the vaccines? Pfizer and all. At the time when COVID was being enacted, I'm going to read off the staff of who's in charge of this in, uh, CDC. The director of the CDC was Rochelle Walensky, dual citizenship with Israel. She's a Jew. Deputy director of the CDC, Anne Shawalchik, dual citizenship with Israel, Jew. 
CDC Chief of Staff, Sherry Berger, Dual Citizenship with Israel, Jew, CDC Chief Medical Officer, Mitchell Wolf, Dual Citizenship with Israel, Jew, CDC Director of the Washington office. This is is pertinent to the topic. We're talking about COVID, right? Yeah, this is this is pertinent to COVID. So I love you, Jennifer. Yeah, please. So director of the CDC of the Washington office, Jeff Rezik, dual citizenship with Israel, Jew. COVID czar, Jeff Zaints, dual citizenship with Israel, Jew. COVID senior advisor, Andy Schlavitt, dual citizenship with Israel, Jew. Uh, Assistant of Health Secretary for Human Services for our country, the Assistant of Health Secretary, Rachel Levine, transgender, dual citizenship with Israel, Jew. I ask that you hold off, Christopher. Ma'am, I'm almost done. Mr. Head of Mr. Pfizer. Wood, the, the chair has ruled that your comments are out of order. She's asked you to stop. The chair has. He said two. There's nothing wrong with two. It's not derogatory. Yeah, exactly. Okay, but keep on going. The head of Pfizer vaccines, Albert dual citizenship with Israel, Jew. Pfizer chief scientist Michael Dostin, dual citizenship with Israel, Jew. Moderna chief scientist, Paul Zaks, dual citizenship with Israel, too. BlackRock, everyone know BlackRock? BlackRock CEO, Larry Fink, dual citizenship with Israel, too. I said we're willing to sacrifice our ego, our reputation, and our lives. Yes, ma'am, and I love you, and I appreciate your patience. Uh, BlackRock president, Rob Capital, dual citizenship with Israel, Jew. Uh, the CDC chief medical officer of Johnson & Johnson, Joanne Waltriker, dual citizenship with Israel, Jew. Uh, Chief Medical Officer of Merck, Michael Rosenthal. Gonna show you something else. Lest we forget. Images from the Holocaust and not the worst ones. It's not just Nazis. No, it's not. It's all of us. It's in all of us. Human beings are capable of horrific acts. Prejudice, anger, hate. We've been there before. 
everything going on right now, it's been cooked up. This rhetoric, this anti-Semitic rhetoric, it's been percolating for a long time. It never really went away. It's just been under the surface. Throw in some truth. Exaggerate a little. Inject a lie here. Inject a lie there. Spin up the narrative. Change the language. Make it more palatable. Cloak it. Disguise it. Nazism. Communism. Marxism. Call it whatever you want. It's disgusting. It's wrong. It leads to death. And I don't care if it's aimed at Jews or Palestinians. I don't care if it's aimed at Ukrainians or Russians. It's all wrong. I don't care if it's aimed at blacks or whites, First Nations peoples, or anybody else. It's bloody well wrong. It's scapegoating. It's not just the Nazis. That's a simplistic view. It's a cliche. That's easy to sell back to people too tell you something else because of all this colonialist anti-colonialist anti-monarchy anti-system rhetoric that's wrapped up in all of this as well do you know who they're really coming for you you're doing it to yourself you're self-destructing and you don't even realize it when you buy into that you're killing yourself because you're to blame because this kind of anti-Semitism doesn't need a Jew. You might be Jewish, but you don't need to be Jewish to be part of the collective guilt. You just have to be a settler, a colonialist, someone in charge or just somebody that they decide to blame. It's you. You let it happen right now. You participate in it. They're coming for the Jews right now. They're coming for the Jews today. I guarantee you, tomorrow, they'll be coming for you. You think about it. I'm not even going to look in the damn chat. When we come back, we'll go to the interview with Kevin Michalizzi. Don't go away.
The New World Order Government Overreach The Great Reset Mainstream Media Lies Now more than ever Independent voices are needed Donate now at FreedomReporters.com That's FreedomReporters.com Maverick News The Antivirus Program For Your Mind So, Kevin, bring us up to date on uh, what's going on on the ground there. Let's start at the beginning, which is last night in Dagestan. Yeah, thanks for uh, pinging me today, Rick. Um, so what we had go on late last night over here in Russia was we had hundreds of angry protesters who uh, overran the Machachkala airport in Dagestan. Um, they were carrying Palestinian flags, anti-Jewish signs, and uh, this protest that they called it was actually uh, prompted by rumors on a telegram channel that there was a flight coming from Tel Aviv carrying Jewish refugees fleeing the conflict in the Middle East. Now this telegram channel that this originally originated with um, is called Utro Dagestan, um, which is Russian for Dagestan morning. And they portray themselves as a local Dagestani telegram channel, but it's actually been traced back to uh, the Ukrainian intelligence services, the SBU by both the Russian KGB our intelligence services and the Killnet hacker group. So um, the goal of this channel is to actually stir things up in Russia and uh, you know cause divide in the country here. So they had oh two, three hundred people that actually went into the airport, they knocked down the front of the airport. Yeah, I've got the video queued up. I just hit it there a little too soon. But uh, yep. just just tee up this video that you, you, uh, that you sent in so that people understand what they're about to see. Yeah, so we've got a video from the airport. It was actually taking, taken by people who were 
um, trying to get into the airport and they knocked down the, the glass on the front of the airport and uh, broke into the, the airport, overran the airport uh, police and riot police had to uh, be called in. So we have a, a video of that. Okay, let's all run that now. Уважаемые дамы и господа, говорит командир, пожалуйста, сохраняйте свои места и не пытайтесь открыть двери самолета. На улице разъяренная толпа, которая не знает, откуда мы прибыли и зачем. Вполне возможно, мы тоже попадем под раздачу. Пожалуйста, оставайтесь на своих местах в самолете и выполняйте все указания бортпроводников. Благодарю за внимание. Okay. So this was actually the video from inside the plane after okay. the people had breached the airport. So that's the video we just saw from inside. That's the, the video Sorry. we saw was from, yeah, was from inside the airplane. Um, the pilot speaking Russian. I see. Okay. Let's run this other video. This is the video yep. outside. Oh my God! <laughs> Okay, so we're seeing stuff like that happening all over the world, honestly. Um, I don't know if you can hear me. The internet seemed to freeze up there again for a moment. I'm saying we're seeing things like that yep. all over the world right now in different countries. Yes. Yes. And this was break. I mean... You can see how violent what this was. They actually broke the front windows out of the airport. And uh, my wife and I both listened to this. And about the only thing you can hear from anyone in this mob is them yelling Allah Akbar. So, you know, um, they, according to the information that's come out from uh, intelligence here, is that um these people were trying to show that there's unrest in russia and this telegram channel actually um attempts to bring unrest in russia they wanted to uh, have this go on till morning but the riot police were uh, called in and at about 2 a.m they had it all under control they have identified 150 of the protesters from the video and they've arrested 60 thus far. And they say they will identify and uh, capture the rest. So the Dagestani uh, head, uh, the head of the region has said that um, the only way that these protesters will be forgiven is 
if they join the special military operations and wash their hands of uh, their sins. So um, this is kind of what's going on with that whole deal. So if they join the military and go to war in Ukraine, then they'll they be, forgiven be forgiven for, for their uh, <laughs> indiscretion. Yes. Well, that's so. an unusual um, solution. Uh, huh. Very clear to me that we're in an information war. So how can we yes. be certain that the information that is coming from the uh, Russian security service is is factual and not just another layer of confusing information? Well, you know, I do have some contacts in there, so I've probably seen information that I can't share. Um, okay. We we have had, you know, one of the things with this Telegram channel mm -hmm. is they have a um, large protest called Common Caucasian Action, which was supposed to take place. They have now postponed that till tomorrow because of the fact that the riot police stopped this. Common Caucasian and, action. So this sounds like some sort of a maybe a white supremacy. White supremacy. Group. Yeah. Um, and as what they're doing is they postponed this rally, but they're now spreading on their channel uh, the idea that the uh, Dagestani protesters that invaded the airport are actually being funded by Gaza, uh, Okrug uh, Republic, Abkhazia, and Chechnya, and other Muslim regions. Now, you know, they're doing this to create a false impression that there's widespread participation in these particular events. But I want to read to you a statement from the Chechens. And this was actually uh, released yesterday by the commander of the Akhmat uh, fighters, um, Opti Aludinov. And uh, his statement was, if we start treating people differently, good or bad, only based on their nationality, then we'll turn into the same fascist Zionist government government like Israel will turn into those and we're freezing up again we're losing Kevin again his internet connection is uh, still not stable hopefully he holds on there those whom were serving the Akhmat Yeah, we lost you again there, Kevin. We lost maybe. <laughs> Where did you lose me? Maybe about 60 seconds ago. Did you hear anything about the statement from the Chechens? You had just started, so you better start at the beginning and read that again. Okay. So I'm going to read to you a statement by the Chechens. Uh, this was actually presented by the commander of the Akhmat Battalion, Opti Aludinov, and uh, 
this is the official statement from uh, the Chechens because uh, Kadyrov is in Moscow meeting with Putin today um, about this situation. Uh, so their statement is, if we start treating people... Hello. Yeah, I'm still here. Oh, okay. I thought it froze. Um, so the official Chechen statement is, if we start treating people differently, good or bad, only based on their nationality, then we will turn into the same fascist Zionist government like Israel and will turn into those whom we're fighting in Ukraine. A lot of Jews live in Chechnya, serve in the Akhmat Battalion, and fight with us shoulder to shoulder. If we st start treating them badly, only based on their nationality, then the question arises, what makes us better than these fascists, better than Israel? I don't think this is the correct way. If our brothers from Palestine come to you, treat them well. If our Jewish brothers who are fleeing the war come to you, treat them well also. These are civilians, not soldiers. So this is the actual official statement from the Chechen government. And it's the general attitude Russians have towards this conflict in Israel. This is between the Zionist government and the Hamas organization. Um, I won't call Hamas a terrorist organization without saying that uh, Israel is doing some uh, things that we could also define as terrorism. So, um, you know, in general, Muslims here fully support the civilian population on both sides of the conflict. And the prevailing feeling from Russians, the Russian citizenry, is that this is another Kiev 2014 operation that it's meant to destabilize Russia by our Western friends, much like they did with Kiev in 2014 in the Maidan. Information warfare, propaganda, it's always difficult to know what's true, what isn't, and who to trust. Yep. And that's why you have yeah. to look at everything very carefully before you react. Take mm -hmm. sources from both sides and weigh it and see what makes the most sense. And if you're seeing the same information repeated by, you know, credible news sources like Maverick News, um, you know, we take great pride in the fact that uh, we as reporters dig into things, find out the information that's correct and present it to people. Um, you know, this is a horrible war that's going on over there and both sides are killing babies and civilians and, uh, you know, there's a lot of war crimes going on over there. But the people mm -hmm. that are suffering, we have to remember, are people like us. They're just the civilians. The Palestinian civilians are being killed. They're being made homeless. And now we have... And we froze up again. 
we'll give it just a moment. I apologize, folks, for the uh, for the choppy internet. It's really beyond our control. But the information is important, so we'll uh, we'll hang with this for just a moment. And I think Kevin will come back. We'll just give the internet a moment to stabilize again. And we're waiting. And it is true, we're seeing really civilians suffer on both sides. It started with the attack on Israeli civilians, and now we're seeing attacks that are affecting Palestinian civilians. No question about that. So it's uh, it's brutal on both sides. And it is becoming increasingly difficult to know what the truth is. Who's telling the truth? And when you have, honestly, <laughs> intelligence services on both sides uh, engaging in this kind of activity. We lost you there again, yes. but you were just saying that we're seeing um, civilians on both sides suffer. Yes. And that's what we really need to uh, keep in mind. I saw a uh, video done by um, an Israeli. Uh, he actually is a uh, doctor of psychological uh, issues, but he's Israeli and he released a statement. He says, what we need to remember is there's citizens that are not the government. They are not the uh, controlling parties on either side. And we need to remember that they're just people like you and I, and they're the ones caught in the middle. Do you think you have a background in um, information warfare, <laughs> right? Just, is, I do. Is it, yeah. So is that kind of information flow? Does it, it doesn't always come from government, does it? Are there other players possibly involved here as well that are not necessarily government but maybe have political objectives and get involved in in this process and we hey. froze up again <laughs> sorry did you hear the question uh i did i heard most of the question um so let's start with that, the question again. Sure. So when we're talking about information warfare or propaganda, is, is it fair to say that it may not always be a government agency or an intelligence service that is injecting information into the stream of information? It might be like a non-governmental organization or a political group of some kind that maybe isn't actually a government and the information can come in at various points. So it makes it even more difficult to understand or recognize where it might be coming from. Is that fair? Yeah, it is fair. And in fact, if you think about propaganda, people always think about it in terms of warfare and governments, but we get it every day with advertising. Um, you know, this is the best product. And if you buy it, you're going to be this reality is, is that's a form of propaganda as well. So we have it in our lives every day. And it's really about, you know, 
using critical thinking. Get information from a variety of sources, look at it, weigh it against common sense. Because usually, you know, if you hear, if you take this pill, you're going to be Superman. Common sense tells you that nobody makes vegetable pills if you look at the ingredients that are going to make you have superpowers, you know? Yeah. And, and I guess the easiest way to sell something to someone is to really um, play on their fears, their emotions, and present things to people in cliches. Yes. And often, you know, even when, when we're talking about things like wars, um, you know, yes, you have NGOs putting information out there, um, you know, and they. And freezing up again, the internet is not cooperating. It didn't. So we may have NGOs who are presenting information, yet you have to remember that they are often a front uh, for something else. They have an agenda and the information they're putting out is to steer your perceptions in a particular way. And they're often biased. Um, many of them are funded by governments. Many of the NGOs are funded by governments, intelligence. Um, I can tell you that a lot of the uh, propaganda uh, projects that I worked on were funded by the CIA. It was money that came from the CIA, the Department of Defense. Um, you know, you look at guys like Lloyd Austin, who, you know, puts on this great political face, but he is the head of the board of Raytheon. And Raytheon, in uh, the past year, has earned over $100 billion in profit. And whose pocket does it go into? So there's a story that they want people to listen to and understand the Department of Defense in the United States actually terms this as perception management. And they monitor social media. They can measure what people are thinking about certain things. And if they want to steer your thinking in a different direction, they can inject stories into the social media by way of the news services, newspapers, um, YouTube channels. So everything that you're taking in, um, you know, you have to be very careful of. And to be fair, every government around the world engages in this kind of activity to one degree or another. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. So what we're doing um, over there, they're doing to us over here. Is that, that kind of fair? Yeah. In fact, is what I always tell people is, you know, you and I grew up in a time where we always heard about the evil Russian propaganda machine. All their news services are run by the government and um, everything that comes out of them is propaganda. Is what I tell people is, Think about things like that that you hear from the U.S. government and apply that to them. Yes, Russia does these things. 
but so does the US government, so does the Canadian government, so does the European Union. There's a reason why during these wars right now, like uh, the Ukraine one, where they've cut off news from Russia, they don't want you to hear the other side. Um, Israel, now this has started with that conflict as well. Um, it was on Tuesday. I follow, because I take information from everywhere, I follow the official Hamas Telegram channel. And uh, last Tuesday, Google actually blocked the Telegram app from displaying that channel. On Friday, Apple did the same thing. Now, you can get around it. You can go out to the Telegram website. You can download a non-official, it's an official Telegram app, but not through the Google Play or, uh, you know, the Apple Store. And you can still get these channels. But they've started blocking these channels as well. They want you to hear Israel's side of the story. They don't want you to hear the Hamas side of the story. Right. Well, here in Canada, the um, the head of the Canadian military says that we are now at war with Russia and China. Um, Did he just figure this out? <laughs> uh, yeah, just within the last uh, last couple of days. So this is um, Chief of the Defense Staff, General Wayne Eyre, who says that China and Russia are Canada's main enemies, with both nations considering themselves to be at war with the West. And this is all now public information um, that has been presented through a, through a new document. And um, I just well, I'd like to get your thought on that. And I think maybe we lost Kevin on the internet again here. And while I, while we wait for him, I'll bring this up. There we go. And we'll put that up on the screen and hopefully Kevin joins us back here again. Let me just get this back. Yeah, he's almost there. It looks like the internet is reconnecting. Yep, I'm here. Sorry, Kevin. Yeah, we lost you again. So just can I get your comment on this revelation, I guess, from the head of the Canadian military who says that Russia and China are at war with us and, and that Russia and China are our main enemies? Well, you know, I think he's been sleeping. Maybe he's getting uh, up there in age as I'm looking at his picture. Uh, because the United States and Europe have been saying this for months now. Um, Russia says that we're at war with the West. There's no fallacy in that statement. Um, and in Ukraine, Russia is at war with the West. So, you know, the other side of that then is uh, that the West is at war with Russia. Now, yeah. I don't know how China comes into this. Uh, they've been pretty neutral on things. They've been proponents of ceasefires. Uh, the thing they've been against is the United States supplying billions of dollars of weapons to Taiwan. Well, the United States in one hand says we believe in the one China policy, but then they're selling weapons to Taiwan. What does Taiwan need all these weapons for? 
So. Well, I'm very concerned about what I'm seeing because it is, I, I see hatred, I see bigotry, I see prejudice, I see people buying into old anti-Semitic tropes that have been yep. uh, sort of recycled in, in new ways using new language to kind of cloak these um these stories that are used to indoctrinate people into hateful ways of thinking. And what we've seen from history is that this leads to tragedy. I'm, I'm very concerned about it. And uh, you see how easy it is to, to manipulate people and get them to lash out and in anger toward a plane full of people that in the end didn't even end up being um, Jewish refugees. They were, Russian citizens actually coming home, if I'm correct in that. Yeah, a majority of them were. Were there Jews in amongst them? Could have been. Um, you know, part of the information that hasn't been released is where did the plane come from? We don't know. Um, could it have been from Israel? It could have been. Uh, you know, there were... Russian citizens coming back, Dagestanis, um, you know, and some of them are probably Jewish. As the Chechen leaders said, they fight with them. They are part of the community. And this is one of the things that the West doesn't understand about Russia is they're so integrated here that, you know, you don't see those conflicts based on religious grounds. It is a very big thing with the Russian Federation that everybody is equal here. And it functions that way. Russia tells the Chechens, you can do things your way, you can keep your culture, and you can worship the way you want, you know, just, you know, be good with other people too. And, um, you know, I think this is why Russia and China are such good at negotiating peace. Now, Israel had a fit that uh, leaders from Hamas came to Moscow. Well, the Israelis went to Moscow too. So Russia views it as, you know, we're going to talk to everybody. Now, I suggested to our friend Arkady Itkin that maybe Kadyrov should uh, be the negotiator between Israel and Hamas. And we froze up again there. Oh, this internet is annoying. But we'll hang with it. He'll, he'll come back on in just a moment. And so, yeah, that was... Um, you know, a significant development to see Hamas uh, go to uh, to Moscow. <laughs> Sorry, we lost Hello. you there again, Kevin. Yep. And and we are almost out of time, so I'll get you to make this last point um, about, um, I guess, Russia really, again, being afforded the opportunity here through all of these developments to sort of take a, a lead role as a peace broker. Yeah, and they have been for uh, the last few weeks. They brought the initial proposal to the UN Security Council for a ceasefire, and it was the US, France, Great Britain, and 
Uh, I don't, and Israel, who voted against it. Um, you know, the UN General Council has brought up these same proposals, and it's the same countries that vote against it because they want, you know, this one uh, called the terrorist organization, or this one, you know, didn't define this one parameter in favor of Israel or say that Israel had the right to do what they did. Um, and Russia in all of this is very balanced. Uh, China, Xi is the same way. And I think they're the ones who will end up negotiating it, uh, you know, some kind of a real peace deal. Um, Hamas came to Moscow. They did talk to them about releasing Russian citizens and the other citizens as well. So they're really, uh, you know, trying to weigh both sides of the story and bring the people to meet in the middle. Okay. Kevin, we are out of time, uh, but I certainly appreciate uh, the time you've taken today to give us this perspective. I think it's important. It's always my pleasure to uh, be on with you, Rick. Thank you, Kevin. Yep, thanks. For the other side, the other perspective on Vladimir Putin's statements today, we go now to the White House and John Kirby. Oh, hang on. And here we go. Hello, hello, John Kirby. I want to get out too, and we're working on it. Uh, Admiral, you mentioned uh, Putin's response or, or lack of response to this anti-Semitic mob at the airport. Uh, but his spokesman reportedly said that yesterday's events were largely the result of outside interference and that the security meeting is in part to discuss attempts by the West to use the events in the Middle East to divide the Russian society. Well, isn't that sweet? Um, uh, it's classic Russian rhetoric, isn't it? Uh, when something goes like uh, bad in your country, you just blame somebody else, blame it on outside influences. Um, the West had nothing to do with this. This is just hate, bigotry, and intimidation, pure and simple. And a good leader, a decent leader, would call it out for what it is, the way President Biden has called it out here in this country, instead of blaming the West for, for something uh, and pushing, pushing it off to somebody else. As the IDF enters this sort of next phase of this conflict, you know, the president again urged Prime Minister Netanyahu to act in a manner consistent with international humanitarian law. Does the president still feel or does he feel that, that Israel is abiding by the rules of war? Without getting into reacting to events on the ground in real time, which we're just not going to do. This is a conversation we consistently have, have had with 
our Israeli counterparts. And as you rightly note, it was part of the discussion yesterday with, with the prime minister. And you heard the prime minister today speaking uh, in Tel Aviv about the efforts that they're undertaking to try to avoid civilian casualties. Uh, and, and, and I think that they certainly are, are making that effort. It doesn't mean that there, there haven't been uh, civilian casualties. Tragically, there have been many, thousands of them. But, uh, but unlike Putin in Ukraine, and unlike what Hamas did on October 7th, killing civilians is not a war aim of the Israeli Defense Forces. Their war aim is to go after Hamas terrorists. Uh, terrorists, I might add, terrorists, I might add, that are using innocent Palestinians as human shields. But is the president concerned that Israel is going to break the rules of war? And if not, why does the president feel the need to repeatedly bring this up? And it seems every conversation that he has with him. Because it's something that even the prime minister brings up in the conversation, that it is, they, they both recognize that as democracies, it's important to abide by the law of war and to protect innocent life and to and to try to minimize civilian casualties. It's not a it, it's not a it's not a lecturing. It's it's a reminder from two leaders of two vibrant democracies that this is what separates us from folks like Hamas. Thank you. Um, the U.S. ambassador to the U.N. said that we should not be numb to the suffering of Palestinians, whether it's the journalists, ordinary people, or aid workers. The number now is 53. Every time we sit here, the number goes up. And also, the Save the Children Fund um, said that the number of children who were killed in Gaza is more than the whole world conflict since 2019. So why getting you message you keep saying that we don't want civilians to die, and you ask Israel to exercise restraint and to abide by international law. Why do you think your message is not getting through to the people in the Middle East? They actually, basically, they don't believe that the U.S. is doing enough to protect civilians. Well, back to Mary's question. There's not a single conversation we haven't had with our Israeli counterparts to better understand what they're doing to try to minimize civilian casualties. And again, uh, as friends can and friends should do, uh, to, to make sure that we're on the same page about that. Um, and the United States uh, is literally leading the effort to try to get humanitarian assistance in to, to Gaza. And if it wasn't, for, quite frankly, for uh, American leadership, I don't think you'd see. In fact, I know you wouldn't see the increase uh, of the aid getting in. Again, we know there's a lot more that needs to be done, but it's because of American leadership on the ground and American uh uh, convening power that we're able to get that aid in and try to see if we can sustain it. We're working very hard at this. Um, every, I just want to repeat it. Every single innocent life lost is a tragedy. Everyone, whether it's a Palestinian life lost or an Israeli life lost, everyone should be prevented. There's no reason for these families to keep grieving. And we're going to keep doing everything we can uh, to, to work with our Israeli counterparts uh, on, the, on the minimization of, of civilian casualties. More quickly, on the meeting with the defense minister, Saudi defense minister, yesterday, Jake Sullivan said that uh, we should talk about the future two-state solution. Do you believe that Prime Minister Netanyahu would publicly said he's against two-state solution, that actually this is something that you can discuss as we, we go forward and you're looking for a political outcome? Yeah, we, we, we discussed it privately with our Israeli counterparts. You heard the president in the Rose Garden last week talk about publicly right at the top of his press conference it's absolutely something he's 100 percent committed to and he still believes in the promise of it though it may seem a little bit more illusory now 
uh, we still believe it's the right thing to do for the region, for the world, certainly for the Palestinian people. Um, for both of you or John. Um, okay. So that is that. I did want to did want to comment on this. And I haven't heard the clip, but I, I'm going to bring the post up on Twitter. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh because it's not even funny. But this is how deranged this entire situation has become. This is a Kim Iverson post. And I don't know what the hell is wrong with people. What has happened to people? says here, this is one reason why no one trusts the Israelis. Here is the president of Israel claiming festival goer Shani Luke's head was chopped off. Meanwhile, the actual reports are that they found a piece of her skull, unclear how large a piece, which could possibly indicate she was shot in the head. She was last believed to be in the Indonesian hospital in Gaza, but in very serious and critical condition. They have not recovered a body, and they certainly don't have her chopped off head. This rhetoric is to rile people up into supporting another endless and expensive war. What's this post? Now, now only now we got the note that Shani Nicole Luke, who was already interviewed by her family, was interviewed, her mother was interviewed by German newsreels uh, has been uh, confirmed as murdered and dead. They found her skull, which means the, um, the, uh, these barbaric, sadistic uh, animals simply chopped off her head when they were attacking and torturing and killing Israelis. It's a huge tragedy, and uh, I send uh, a lot of condolences to the bereaved, her bereaved family. She was a beautiful 23-year-old who went to a uh, music festival, nature festival in uh, in Reim, right near the border. But we now, now only now we go. So the family says that she's dead. I don't know if there has been a mistake made, but I... The, but this post is ridiculous. It's like, as long as they didn't chop her head off, like they didn't chop her head off, so what are you complaining about? They just shot her in the head. As though that's okay. It's okay to shoot someone in the head. That's all right. You know, they're just, they're just exaggerating so much. No wonder they don't trust them. They said they chopped her head off. No, we don't have a body. We have no proof of any kind. We don't have any evidence. But obviously, nobody trusts them because it looks like maybe, maybe, again, it's a maybe, maybe they just shot her in the head. What are you complaining about? Like, seriously? What the hell is wrong? with people. I don't care if they shot her in the head, chopped her head off, or uh, 
stabbed her or it's all wrong. And if she's dead, she's dead. Now, beheadings are pretty horrific. And these groups, they do engage in that kind of activity. I've seen it. It's real. It happens. But regardless, the way that that is written, it's designed to generate a response from you that excuses the barbarity, the, 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 the barbaric act. The, 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 it's okay. It, they just shot her in the head. They didn't actually chop her head off. They found a piece of her skull. They just, they found a piece, just a piece. They just found a piece of her skull. What's the big deal? What the hell is wrong with Kim Iverson? You suck, Kim. Guess I'm never going on her show. <laughs> Not that I've ever been invited and probably never would be, but I wouldn't now if she did. Kim Iverson. Yeah, they just, what's the big deal? They just found a piece of her skull. Have you lost your mind, Kim? My God. People collectively have lost their freaking minds. Think about it. God help us all. Greetings, brave mavericks. Our quest for truth continues. We go beyond fake news. Together we expose propaganda. Together we pull others out of rabbit holes. We are maverick thinkers. We are all unique individuals, individuals, defenders of individual rights and freedoms, credible, trusted, grounded in reality. Maverick News, Maverick News. Defending free speech, free speech, speech. Donate at freedomreporters.com. Do it now. Tomorrow may be too late. Too late. Too late. Too late. Maverick News. The world is watching. Okay, um, up next, Bitcoin Ben. He is growing, rising in popularity. You might think this is uh, going to be a trivial interview. It is not. I did record this earlier in the day today, still entirely relevant. And he gets into a wide range of subjects with me. This is pretty interesting, incredibly interesting conversation because we're going to discuss cryptocurrency, central bank digital currencies, why he thinks they won't work. We're going to get into the war in Israel, Palestine. We're going to look at what's going on in Ukraine. 
We're going to look at the international monetary system, why cryptocurrency comes into play, what's happening with um, the U.S. dollar, the BRICS nations, why our entire system may be on the verge of collapsing, why our economy may be on the verge of collapsing, what you can do to protect yourself in the event that that does happen, why you should take steps to protect yourself. And we're going to also dig deep down into that whole narrative that surrounds Kazarian Jews. He subscribes to that line of thinking and, and lays it all out. I have to preface everything you are about to say, see, by saying I do not share Bitcoin Ben's views on those that particular issue. I, I don't subscribe to it, obviously. But people are entitled to their opinions on these things. And uh, I, I, I'm, you know, he, he can express his views if he chooses, so chooses here. I, uh, I just, I don't agree with everything that he says. A lot of the stuff that he says, I do agree with, especially on the, the economics and how that works and how Bitcoin works and, and what, you know, is going on with the U.S. dollar and the creation of this new alternate monetary system which is capitalistic in itself on the other side. Honestly, I don't at this point see a whole lot of difference between the monetary systems in the monetary system in the West and the new monetary system being set up by the BRICS nations, except that the, their lending terms are a little bit different. It's like a, a different bank, basically, in my view. Uh, that being said, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, even, even those Marxists that I made reference to earlier, the Canadian Marxists, they, uh, they're not even happy with Russia or China. They see those, those countries as being too capitalistic, even China, which I would say is mercantilist. And, uh, yeah, they, they are absolutely capitalistic because, Free markets and capitalism work far more efficiently than centrally planned economies do, honestly. Again, my opinion, and there's a lot of empirical evidence to back that up. Now, I don't think that the current system that we have is optimal and is reliant far too much on public partner private public private partnerships and government and corporate um, collusion. But that is another subject for another day. And we do get into it a bit anyway in this interview with Bitcoin Ben. So let me take a very short break. And when we come back, I'm going to run that interview with Bitcoin Ben. And this, this is a game changer in many ways, what he's talking about, Bitcoin, cryptocurrencies. And you are not going to want to miss this. Uh, it'll open your eyes to a whole new world, maybe even a whole new world order. Don't go away. The New World Order Government Overreach 
The Great Reset Mainstream Media Lies Now more than ever Independent voices are needed Donate now At FreedomReporters.com That's FreedomReporters.com Maverick News The Antivirus Program For Your Mind And there's the man, Bitcoin Ben. Welcome to the Maverick News Channel. Thank you for taking the time to, to join us on the program today. I'm really excited about this, but I'm going to throw it to you first off to just introduce yourself because you're, you're a, I mean, you're really growing in popularity, but I'm, some of our viewers maybe are not aware of exactly who you are or what you do. Yeah. Hey, Rick. How are you, brother? Um, well, I'm loosely known as the world's most famous ex-truck driver. Okay. Well, we we have a lot of affinity for truck drivers around here because we've covered the Freedom Convoy and the People's Convoy, and we have a lot of truckers who watch. So uh, I'm sure that a lot of our viewers are already familiar with you. But uh, again, what is it that you, you do? You've got sort of a crypto club where you provide information and uh and advice on um on cryptocurrencies yeah um we run a location here in sarasota florida and please i'm so sorry about my voice i i do interviews and shows all day long and Unfortunately, old age and um, probably bad life habits <laughs> have uh, have rendered it not so good. Uh, I've actually been in cryptos for about almost eight years now, and um, I guess I'm not really your average truck driver. I uh, I actually uh, I owned a remodeling company prior to driving a truck. I sold my remodeling company, and I kind of re um, I, I retired into truck driving because uh. After I got rid of the remodeling company, I found out that retirement's not as glamorous as it sounds. It's very boring, actually. <laughs> and uh, so I had a friend who owned a trucking company. And I reached out and said, hey, are you looking to hire a driver? Because with, with the remodeling company, I had a class A already. So I'm like, eh, it just makes sense. You know, something to do. And um, so I got into driving a truck and I found out I loved it. It's you're out, you're free, you don't have a boss or anything, really. Um, and I love driving. I love driving around 
the country, you know, seeing the world, and uh, and it just worked. And um, every single truck driver will tell you we love talk radio because, uh, especially back then, because. Although you had iPhones, they weren't really what they are now. So YouTube uh, really didn't exist. Uh, yeah, well, it did, but it was very, you know, not very good. And uh, so I listened to Rush Limbaugh. I listened to like all of the greats of like talk radio. And I heard an interview of a guy, and he was explaining this online money and like explaining how it was going to change the world. And, and I thought it was very interesting. And uh, because of my childhood, um, I was unusually educated on economics through my grandfather who had fled Yugoslavia from the uh, communists. And he was an entrepreneur. So he, he literally explained like Austrian economics and like Keynesian economics. So I grew up with probably a PH, uh, level of economic knowledge that I didn't even know I had. I thought everyone knew it. You know, it's like, well, yeah, this is Austrian economics. You know, it's it's the only real economics out there. Keynesian economics is junk. You know, it's it's actually uh, com communistic in its structure. And um, so as I heard on like cryptocurrencies, like Bitcoin, Litecoin, Ethereum and all that, I grasped all of it. And I'm like, well, this just makes sense. And so I jumped on, um, on learning about it. And eight years later, I'm... Here I am. I host a show. I host several shows. I have a club here in Sarasota launching another one in, uh, let's see, Tennessee, then another one in Texas. Then next year, we're launching another club in Australia, London, and also Dubai. So you are absolutely growing, and uh, so is interest in cryptocurrency. I guess it's your view that Bitcoin, cryptocurrencies can help set people free. 
How do oh, you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, t- tell us why. Well, it's um, what actually makes it revolutionary is it is the only and the first truly decentralized currency that cannot ever be uh, corrupted or or inflate the supply like the Federal Reserve. They just print up money. That's all they do. They print it. We actually pay more when in reality the currency's losing value. Mm-hmm. And when I say value, I actually mean like purchasing power. And uh, that's inflation. Well, uh, the situation we have now with our government is probably the worst case we've ever had of inflation. Government uh, involvement in the economy and the the outright fraud that the Federal Reserve and the government and the Treasury Department are 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 inflicting on the American people because they're purchasing things or spending money they don't really have. So to pay the bills, they just turn on the printing press. That increases the money supply. With more supply, it decreases the value, which means that it's it's sort of an indirect tax on, or maybe a direct tax on on the people because the money that you've saved uh, responsibly, and it's in your, uh, your savings accounts or your retirement plans, uh, the purchasing power is diminished over time. So you're trying to be a responsible person by saving, and then the government just turns on the printing press and and then distributes the money any way they see fit, and you end up with less purchasing power. Um, so the money you've saved ends up being worth 20, 30, 40% less than it was when you first put it in the bank. Is that fair? Ab- absolutely. You nailed it. It's it's literally they rob you of your labor value. It's um, a great example is actually my dad. He worked at the post office for 40, 47 years. He retired with a pension and all that. Well, all of his, um, all of the money he had saved over his his whole life, every year would lose value. And so initially, when he originally got hired at the post office, I think he was making around 12, 12 grand a year. And when he retired, I think he was at 84,000 a year. And, but mind you, uh, 
he he never really got a raise. It isn't that he could buy. They're like, wow, I'm making eighty something dollars. No, it's the equivalent of the twelve thousand that you were making. It's just yes. a larger number now because when he originally got going, I think that the gasoline was like. 68 cents a gallon or something that was high at the time and um look at it now it isn't that the the oil has gotten more valuable it's that the dollar has lost its value that's why you know cryptocurrencies like bitcoin there will only be 21 million of them ever made. Now, a lot of people, they look at it and go, I don't get it. It, it makes no sense to me. Well, how I explain it is, I remember when we were kids and we would write a letter to like our grandmother, something like that, we'd mail it to her. Well, what happened with email was it wasn't that the 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 value of what you were saying in the letter changed. It was how it was delivered. We went from writing it down to sending an email. It just got there a whole lot quicker. So the value never changed. It was how we delivered it. Well, Mm -hmm. now that we have, um, we we all are, sorry about that. That's okay. Uh, uh, Now that we live in the digital world, uh, it only makes sense that our actual currency will go digital. Now, the difference is we have the opportunity to exit the global system that we've lived under for, oh, 118 years now. And what that means is you can now trade in your dollars and actually get an honest currency that that actually keeps up and surpasses the inflation rate. And what that means is you're actually making more money holding Bitcoin than you would holding the dollars. If you think of it like this, uh, when you think, all right, uh, inflation's bad, all right, I'm going to buy an asset that's going to outperform the inflation rate. That's the whole goal. So you think, all right, I'll buy houses. Well, Houses are a liability, really. It's you have maintenance, you have 
no taxes. You have loans, which the interest rates right now are not good. Well, historically, they're about average. But as we had the last you know, 10 years, they're high. So you're looking around something that you can trade your dollars for. That's that's what we do when we are looking to actually get out of an inflationary period of our dollars. You you are selling your dollars for something that will outperform the inflation rate. Well, with cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, we have cleaned house on that. Uh, when I originally bought Bitcoin, it was about 600 bucks. Uh, and luckily for me, when I did, I, I went in pretty healthy. Uh, and I, I, let's just say my life has improved dramatically since I've gotten in actual Bitcoin. And now we can shop on a daily bed. If I wanted to, I could live solely on, on actual Bitcoin and never touch another U.S. dollar ever. What do you say to critics of Bitcoin, including some in our own government here in Canada, who say that Bitcoin is volatile, that it's not stable, that it's not even real because it's not attached to the value of something like gold or or, or some other commodity like that? Well, number one, if they're in the government, they're lying. Okay. Yeah. That's that's what the government does. They lie. That's their job. If they're an honest broker with an honest question of why does it, why does this have value? Well, what actually sets a value is human um, want. demand. Demand. Right? Yep. And um and it isn't that actual Bitcoin's volatile. It's the opposite. It's the U.S. dollar or the Canadian dollar is what's volatile. Uh, here in America, the only thing people can really relate to is the actual price of fuel. It isn't that the fuel is like a lot better. It's the same fuel. So the price fluctuation, it isn't the fuel. It's the dollar that's fluctuating. It's the same thing with actual Bitcoin. The more and more people who realize this is this is just a new asset class. It's a new type of property. 
Why yeah. do you think why do you think people have not been able to or why haven't they started to use it more as a form of a way of transaction? Um, you know, it's it's at this stage in the game, I sort of expected to see more adoption at, at the, the retail level, for instance, when you go to the store. But when, you know, I'm, I'm purchasing things, it's really not still readily available. And yet Bitcoin remains popular. Uh, especially with people who kind of are purchasing it. I have some and I've purchased it, but I've just held it. I haven't really used Hodl. it to purchase things. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, because right now we still have relatively useful, it's easier to use a paper. Yeah. Yeah. Then. Plus, why would you use an appreciating currency when you have this? You know, if if you have these and you also have your actual Bitcoin, why would you set or trade your Bitcoin and get more of these? It's it's. Um, so right now, although there are some of us, I am one of them, and I use it on a daily basis. It's uh, uh, There are websites out there that you can actually purchase anything you want on Amazon using Bitcoin, and you save I think 20% on everything because people want actual Bitcoin. And so they'll head out and purchase your item, but you pay for it in actual Bitcoin and you save 20% because you're using a... Um, an actual actual currency that they prefer. It's uh, it's the equivalent of fueling up your car, and they have a cash price, and they have a credit card price, because the credit card is going to cost them an extra, I think, like two or three percent, which Visa. And also, I think MasterCard just announced they're going to raise that. So right. it's it's um, right now because it is um, it it is relatively new. Um, there's a lot of people who don't really grasp what's going on. So they're frightened of it. Plus, the governments, they scare the hell out of the people. They're like, oh, don't, oh, you don't want to get involved in that Bitcoin stuff. That's for terrorists. You know, that's, that's mm. for the wild truck drivers up there in Canada, <laughs> out there, you know, trying to be free. Damn them, you know. Yeah, and can the government, like, I'm, during the Freedom Convoy, for instance, they did manage to uh, get a hold of 
you know, the codes to seize some Bitcoin assets of some of the uh, the protesters, which was just another authoritarian move on the part of the government. But how secure is Bitcoin? Will governments be able to shut it down if they so choose? No, no. It, um, what happened uh, with the truck drivers is it was actually sent what's called a hot wallet. It's like, um, uh, it's where another comp company holds your actual Bitcoin. And you personally, you don't own it on a private wallet. Right. If you have it in a private wallet, they can't do nothing to it. It's, they can't access it. They can't move it. And if you do it right, they don't even know you have it. And it's, it's, that's why I host a show and I have for about six years now hosted a show. And uh, why I have a club here in Saratoga because we have to educate the public so that the governments of the world cannot roll them into the Great Reset. The Great Reset is your currency. That's what this is all about. Because Everyone in America, well, really, everyone in the world, we only share one thing. Most of us can use the U.S. dollar. And that's the only thing we all have in common. So the government, the U.S. government, uses the currency as a weapon. Look what they did up against Russia. Oh, you're not doing what we want you to do. We're gonna we're gonna cut you off of the SWIFT system. And we're gonna we're gonna regulate what type of business you can do. That's why Russia, China, Brazil, they're creating a whole new currency system. Because the U.S. government has lied and corrupted the currency and inflated it so horribly that everyone in the world's like, we got to get off this dollar. It's killing all of us. And that's what the U.S. government is in full panic about. That's why what happened with Trump, that's why they hate Trump. That's why they swiped the election, whether or not you agree with that. I don't care. I'm all right uh, if you're wrong, because not, it, it, it was flat out stolen. It's Everyone who honestly looks at it knows it is or it was. And we are in a hell of a pickle right now. 
historically, if you look at 1914 through 1920, everything over the last four, well, three years have, has been a carbon copy of 1917 through 1920. Because in 1917, America and the globe had the uh, Spanish flu, right? Yep. And if, if you look back, everyone's wearing masks. They shut down all the businesses. They did exactly the same thing that the communists of the early 1900s, which back then they weren't called communists, they were actually called progressives, which they blew <laughs> off the freaking dust off that word. Yep. Brought that back. And uh, then in 1920 in America, we had a an event that was labeled the Red Scare. That's where the federal government under President Coolidge, I think it was, mm -hmm. um, actually rounded up 150,000 communists who had come to America illegally, most of them, a uh, majority of them to New York and Mexico, and uh, and the federal government gathered up 150,000 people and shipped them right back to Europe. Well, that's what led to war. Now, if you can't tell, I'm a history junkie too. I love his real history not the crap they teach in school now. And um, so that's what eventually led to Hitler because a lot of the illegals here in America, we shipped over to Europe. Well, they went into Germany, they went into Poland, they went into all these areas. And, um, and eventually, those are the people who actually took over Germany that led to the rise of Hitler that brought World War II was all the people we shipped out. And then during World War II, Hitler, and mind you, I am not saying Hitler's a good guy. He was a lunatic. Right? But Hitler... He tried shipping them back to us through Florida on a ship called the U.S. St. Louis. He loaded it up with Jews, and he's like, well, there you go. You shipped them to us, we'll ship them back to you. And, 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 and America refused. And so the ship had to turn around and go right back. Germany. Well, that's the first ship that led to the first concentration camp. Because Hitler didn't want him in Germany. 
So he kept them at the borders. Look at Mexico here in America in camps. And those concentration camps in Germany were exactly what we have and had here in America. They were just uh, holding camps for illegal aliens. They evolved into what they called you know, concentration camps. Then when the war got bad and, and Hitler had to actually choose, right? do I feed my troops or do I feed all these illegal aliens? Well, he, he chose his troops. And that's what led to, and like I said, I'm not a Hitler fan. He was a progressive socialist lunatic, but he loved Germany. He, that's all he cared about was Germany. And so Hitler in his drug-induced head, he's like, well, since they're going to die anyway, why don't I just put them in gas chambers and end it quickly? Because he knew they're either going to starve to death or I kill them. And so that's what he did. Now, like I said, Hitler, crazy, off his rocker. In, in the fact, Hitler had... had um, a romantic letter-writing relationship with the creator of, um, of Planned Parenthood, Margaret Thanger. Or, yeah. Was that? Sanger. Margaret Sanger. Mm-hmm. Him, she loved him. She, mind you, this is actually during eugenics when eugenics was popular, which is basically um, kill everyone who isn't white. That's what eugenics was. And so that's what Hitler was. um, A lot of people over here in America were eugenists. They, um, because of um, because of communism and the writings of um, the origins of species. What was that guy's uh, Darwin? Yes, Charles Darwin is the originator of the eugenics movement. Because if you look at the original name of his actual book, it was um, Charles Darwin, The Origins of Species um, and um, 
and the preferred races. So he, his argument was, well, the Aryans are the only smart ones. So let's just kill everybody else. And then we'll have this utopia of, you know, communism. And, and I mean, it, it, it's, is it, it you like, like I don't subscribe to the left, right political idea. I see fascism and communism or Nazism as sort of being together. They're and very, you know, it's, I don't see honestly very little difference. One's sort of a nationalistic socialism. The other is more of an international socialism. Is that fair? Uh, how I would explain it is you have national socialists who are basically uh, something in um, something of like a socialist that loves his country, but he wants all of the years of actual communism. Well, a communist is a global socialist. And then you have all of the other ists. You know, you got your fascist, which is just another structure of communists just ran through corporations in head of actual government structures, which is what we have here in America now, is is our politicians, they don't work for us, they work for the corporations. And that's why the American people are always last in line. You know, it's, it's, hey, we had a hurricane here in, you know, Florida. We'll get to you. We need to take care of the Ukraine first. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's we're always the last in line, but the first ones that that they want to ship over for a war. And that's why we are in the midst of a choice. Every single country in the world. This is not an America problem. This is not a problem up in Canada. This is not a problem that one country can resolve and we're good. We either have to free the whole globe or we're all screwed. Because if there's any remnants of the um, World Economic Forum, the World Health Organization, any of those that survive this these next few years will only be recreated like they did after World War One. After World War One, they actually tried 
creating what was called the League of Nations. Mm -hmm. Well, America, no, we don't want that. So it went away. Well, they had World War II. Then they're like, oh, wait, we got this new thing. The UN. We're going to call it the United Nations. Nothing like the League of Nations. And um, they launched it from there. And, um, and unfortunately, now we've lived under a um, under a communistic empire growth using the U.S. government and the U.S. military as the implementation country of this global takeover. I got bad news for Americans. We haven't actually been the good guys in a long time. We've actually been the bad guys for a long time. And it basically went 100% rotten right after the assassination of JFK. And then they took the dollar off the gold standard when Nixon did that. They tied it to the price of oil by forcing countries when they purchased their oil to use the U.S. dollar through Saudi Arabia. And in exchange, they provided military protection to Saudi Arabia in the Middle East. And by asserting uh, that military oversight and force, the dollar is actually tied not even just to the price of oil, but to guns. Yeah, war. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yep. It's um, Eisenhower warned us. And what's crazy is the only part that most people listen to is when he says, uh, we must watch out for the military industrial complex. Well, he he said other things. The um, um, the uh, the science complex, the universities, the uh, healthcare. Then he warned about all of it. He's like, look, there are groups getting together in a communistic secret manner. JFK warned about the secret societies. That's what he was talking about. And at the center of the secret societies is the CIA. The CIA is the heart of this whole global um, change that we've actually been going over the last hundred years. Because originally the CIA was the OOS or the OSS. And then they went to the CIA. And what people don't realize is 
is after World War II, Operation Paperclip brought over a bunch of Nazis. Remember, the Nazis were just national socialists. So they're just as horrible as the communists, just on a national level. They're ruthless. I honestly think that these people that have done, they can't have a soul. And if they did have a soul, they sold it at some point. Because you, if if you look at World War One, World War Two, Korean War, I mean Vietnam, um, Iraq, Iran, um, all of the wars that we've constantly been in, you, you cannot have a soul and go, yep, those were all worth it. Really? Really? I mean, it, it's, it's, we've lost hundreds of millions of people across the world. For what? What did we gain that we didn't already have? The U.S. had oil. We knew we had a bunch of oil. We knew we had more oil than we could ever deal with. Because here, and here's something else. I want people to realize that oil is not, it is not what people think it is. It is not an old juice from a dinosaur. It is not this this whole idea. No, no, the earth produces oil naturally. It it, it because and, it's made up of decomposing matter, which has been going on no, for no, hundreds no, no. of millions of years, and it's just no, a constant no, no, process. No no, no. No? no, no, oil is not made up of of any. Um, it isn't old dinosaurs. It isn't old plants. It it that's not what oil is. Oil is actually created in about the third layer of the crust of the earth. If 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 oil was truly truly a um. Uh, what do they call it? Um, um, I haven't used the actual term in so long. Um, oh, uh, they call it something. Um, if it was a finite resource, you mean? No, no. Oh, oh. They actually call it a fossil fuel. Fossil fuel, right. right. Yeah. That is such bullcrap. Oil, if it's fossil fuel, where's the DNA? Oil does not have DNA because it is pure petroleum. It is pure oil. It, it's, it's created inside the earth. 
using pressure and use if oil was truly a fossil fuel, how did it, the oil get under the water plane? Uh, it's it's how did the oil get under the ocean? Right? Because oil floats on water. How is there oil under the water, uh, the earth has, has, um, has a certain level where all water resides? We call it the sea level. Right? All water unless in a lake or draining towards the ocean, all water resides at that exact plane all around the earth. If the oil was actually what they say it was, how did the oil get under that? It can't. And, and, and if, if oil's what they say it is, how is it pressurized if it's a fossil fuel? Because it's coming from under the earth. Right, right. right. But if, if the theory is that the oil soaked into the earth, how is it pressurized? It wouldn't be pressurized, right? Yeah. It's it's all a lie. They've lied to us about everything. We're not running out of oil. We're not running out of water. We're not running out of in it's like the global warming thing. It's it's all what they do is they take something, anything that cannot be proven and then go all right this is an emergency the temperature of the earth is rising we must do something and now you want to absolutely know that this is all a bunch of bullcrap look at plymouth rock the rock that that the Puritans landed on here in America, that led to Canada, that led to the U.S., led to. If the sea levels are rising, why is that rock that's about this far out of the water? Why has it not been covered with water? In the last 400 years, that's my wife. No one wants to <laughs> anyway. That's okay. I'll see you when I get home later. Um, it's it's all an illusion. We have been yeah. tricked into this. Number one, the medical system is an illusion. It's how do you kill everybody? 
you convince them that you're healing them. <laughs> um, how do you make everybody broke? You convince them they're getting richer. How do you take complete control of the world? You convince the people of the world that them just drive, driving a truck is killing little bitty puppies and kittens everywhere. And then, then what you do is you feminize the whole world. You make all, all of the toxic masculinity the worst thing you could ever do. Apparently, I'm, I'm worse than a jihadist. I'm a Christian white guy um, who lives in America. Basically, the devil. And if if I even do any characteristics that resembles any type of masculinity, oh, I'm oppressing everybody. Well, I don't know about you, but I got a job, I got a family, I ain't got time to oppress nothing. How <laughs> would I do it anyway? So, Ben, give me your take on how... Well, give me your take on this, all of that as it relates right now to the situation in uh, Ukraine and especially now Israel-Palestine. Okay. Now, Israel and Palestine, well, the Ukraine, uh, that actually ties in with the COVID and a lot of other things that are not really talks about out in public, but where I exist, it is the Ukraine is or was the headquarters of the largest child trafficking ring in the world. They ran it through about 14 agencies, which were actually modeling agencies. And Jeffrey Epstein, that's where he would get all of his, his, his Russian models and fly him over to Ohio at a military base about a mile from his house. Well, he lived with the guy who owns, uh, or own, yeah, owns, I, I think he's alive still, owns, um, uh, uh, Victoria's Secret. Well, that's where they ran it all through, right, right through Ukraine. And Ukraine had, I want to say, 12 um, scientific biology centers that actually 100% focused on creating bioweapons. And that's what Ukraine's about. Ukraine is about pure corruption. 
That's exactly what's going on over in Taiwan. It, it has nothing to do with microchips, what's going on in Taiwan. It's, that's the front story. It's over in Taiwan. That's where all of the other medical facilities are at. And also, that's why China is helping to get us involved with Israel and uh, uh, and uh, oh, what do you call it? Gaza. Like anybody who's ever been in the military or ever, ever really researched Israel, Israel has what is called the Iron Dome. This is like, think of a force field. That's what the Iron Dome is. Plus they have the Mossad. Mossad is the equivalent of the CIA here in America. Well, the Mossad makes the CIA look like they're Girl Scouts. The Mossad are the most ruthless of everyone in the world. There is no way in hell that some little rat-tat-tat terrorist group, I don't care how well-funded they were or are, there's no way that they're going to have a ground invasion into Israel. It, Israel, you, you can't walk into Israel without hitting about 500 yards of landmines. There's no area around Israel that isn't 100% protected. And the whole idea of them flying their little kites in and dropping it, that they would have got shot down in a heartbeat. And, and and then plus, look this up. I'm I'm not making this up. During the invasion, why did Netanyahu have a six-hour order to stand down to his military during the time that these people supposedly? You know, invaded the country. It's it's Israel's 9-11. Really? Then why did Netanyahu tell his military? Mind you, in Israel, every citizen has to join the military. Every one of them has to go through military training. There is no such thing as in it um Um, Israeli citizen. They're all trained. They're all militarized. The women, the men, all of them, they all know how to shoot. You, 
it, it's they and they all got weapons. Every single household has weapons. How does this this group of people go street to street? Just oh, they're killing children and and women and uh, no. If you've ever been to Israel, oh, ain't how it goes in Israel. Israel don't play. Does not Israel have pretty strict gun control laws? As I look them up here, it appears they do. uh, It's they are militarized. The, the, the whole country is one big militarized occupied area. And if you're a true Israel, Israelite, then you can carry a weapon. Now, if you're, uh, if you're, and this is going to piss off a lot of people. <laughs> if you're Jewish in name only, <laughs> uh, then no, you're not allowed to have weapons. But the difference, see, there are two Israels, just like there's two Americans. You have the um, uh, Agnaski Jews, I think that's how you pronounce it. Ashkenazi or Kazarian Jews. The Kazarian Jews, Mm -hmm. those are the bad ones, right? The Kazarian Jews are not Jewish. They're Germanic, right? I'm sure you've heard heard the name Rothschild. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, before Rothschild was Rothschild, he had a different name. His family had a different name. And then they adopted the name Rothschild when they claimed Judaism. Those are the Kassarian Jews. There is no such thing as a white. Jew. Nope. Those are the Germanic Jews. Those are the fake Jews. Right? And so why are they why are they in your estimation the bad Jews? Because they are the name stealers. I think the Syrian Jews do not originate from the original tribes. In, uh, I want to say it was like 700 AD, maybe a little bit earlier. Uh, the Kassarian, now mind you, the Kassarian. Jews originate in the area that we now call the Ukraine. That's where they're from. During, uh, I can't remember the exact years, but 
you had the Christians against the Muslims. Right? And there was a trade route from China that went right through Ukraine. It was called the Silk Road. Mm -hmm. right? The Kassarians would actually rob and kill all of the traders that went through there, then assume their identities and go and trade with whoever they were on their way to trade with if the uh, story worked and they'd rip off both sides. Well, the Christians and the Muslims got tired of the Kassarians uh, in interfering with trade. So they gave them a choice. You either, you choose a religion and you stick to it and you apply the religious beliefs of that religion or we're just going to wipe you guys out. So the Kassarians took on Judaism. Well, the real Jews were like, wait, no, that's not how this works. If you notice, Jewish people and the Jewish religion is the only religion that doesn't advertise for more membership. They don't. Because it's their bloodline that they value. It's why Jewishness can only be handed down through the mother. Because it's the only way they can absolutely prove who the parent was. They don't do it through the father. He could have messed around or, you know, something else. It all goes through the mother so they can trace the bloodline. And if our education system actually taught our children real history and not the fluffy you know, history they try to teach nowadays, people would understand who the Kassarian, the, or as I call them, the Kassarian Mafia are. And the Kassarian Mafia, that's, like I said, Hitler's not a good guy. The Kassarian Mafia was who infiltrated Germany and Russia and all of the other area that led to World War One. So you know, the most people with their history, they only really kind of go back. I noticed to World War Two. Some people maybe back to World War One. But there's history that goes back further than that. And we saw pogroms in Russia, uh, you know, even in the early 1800s. They were 
rounding up and killing Jews long before Hitler was ever born. And that was also communist um, ideology that was coming into play there. Do you see any similarities or what are your thoughts on that as it, uh, as it connects to today? Um, you have to separate the true Jews from the Kassarian Jews. But, um, uh, one of the original communists, in fact, the guy who wrote the Communist Manifesto, Karl Marx, mm-hmm. he was Jewish, but he was a Kassarian Jew. The Kassarian Jew philosophy is that of um, uh, I, that's a whole nother philosophical goes back to like ancient you know, Buddha. Mm-hmm. Well, I've read the Communist Manifesto, Marx right. and Engels. Okay. Yep. And, um, mm-hmm. and what what happens is the Kassarian Mafia has, has always hidden inside of the real Jewish culture. And, and so would so you know we we would you say that there's the old story that it's the Jews who control the media, pharmaceutical companies, banking. And so yeah, they, would it would it then be uh, so would you say that those are the elite that we need to be concerned about and yes. people have been concerned about is that what it is yeah it's it's you will uh, well, I, do you mind if i go a little woo woo go ahead <laughs> but this is all true you can look it up i that Kassarian culture originates at the philosophy of um, of humans are programmable. Humans do not have souls. They do not believe that humans are souled individuals. So their philosophy is, just like Karl Marx and, and the rest of the progressives, is if you kill a human, it's the same as shooting a dog or a rabbit or a snake or an ant. It has no soul. It's just an animal. It's a beast. Mm -hmm. So wiping out a million ants, that's the price of business. You know, where on the other side, you have the real Jewish religion which originated out of the tribes that left uh, Egypt, those are the fully, like, they're all about human souls and, 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 and you know, love of God and, and squeezing each other right. It's, but, and, this is going to get really crazy, but I, what 
What really set off the Caesarian Jews was the Age of Enlightenment. The Age of Enlightenment is when they started to figure or when humanity as a whole started to understand the formula of reality, the formula of God, the formula of life. So what they actually took it as was, okay, well, if we control the monies of the world, then we can eventually control the world. And this originates uh, about the time that the East Indian Trade Company actually purchased the Bank of London. I want to say 1680-something. Don't quote me on the exact date, but the East Indian Trade Company purchased the Bank uh, Bank of London. Well, that's that's what created our I'm um, sorry, the Bank of England. That's what created this king structure, this royalty structure, the bloodline structures. Was the uh, there were eight executives out of the East Indian Trade Company that went into seven different European countries and they established governments. And in those governments, they created a royalty structure, a bloodline structure. And that's what Europe has lived under for for in a day, not well, I mean, not forever, but you get my gist. It's been like that for years. Then we reach a point where um, what really started to screw them was more and more people were learning how to read. The printing press really put them in a pickle. Right? And um, prior to the printing press, in a little bit after it, I think, was we had the actual Magna Carta. Now, I think that was earlier. That's like 1400 and something, I, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Magna Carta was the first ever governing document that recognized individual souls. Everything else you, prior to that, you had to go to the church. You couldn't pray to God. You weren't allowed to. You had to confess to the church and have the church tell you how to pay for your sins. You know, you know, hell marries and and all that. Well, then you had the Magna Carta. That started to 
redistribute land a little bit more evenly. And that eventually led to the industrial revolution over in Europe. For well, that, after the Black Plague, so many people died that the um, the economic system they lived under, which was servitude, uh, actually fell apart. That so many people had died that they had to, to switch over and they had to create a new system. Well, that new system was exchanging labor for money. Prior to that, none of the serfs ever held money. The only time they held money was to pay taxes. And it was only to trade in their wheat or their goods or whatever. They'd cash them in. They'd be issued the government currency. Then they'd take that currency over and give it back to the government. That was it. Everything else was purely, you have wheat, I have eggs, we'll trade back and forth. Now, you fast forward. The Kasarian Mafia, then as technology advanced and science advanced, or as they call it, the Age of Enlightenment, they started to realize that this whole God thing's a problem. No, no, no one's going to let us take over and run the world as long as this idea of God's around. Because if there's a God, then he is over all of us. We can't have that. So that's when they send off, um, um, oh, we just, uh, Charles Darwin. And he comes up with this absolutely bullcrap idea of evolution. Right? No, absolutely bullcrap. There's no historical evidence of evolution. We didn't evolve out of um, out out of goo in the ocean. We didn't evolve. We didn't transition from a monkey to a man naturally. That was another event that we won't talk about because that's really woo. So. Humans, the Caesarian Mafia, the Age of Enlightenment was to get rid of God. That's why Charles Darwin led to communism. Communism has to get rid of God. So they're actually pointing at Charles Darwin. And then Charles Darwin is explaining how humans don't have souls, we have brains, we have nervous system. So this all evolves, right? And for the last 
180 years, almost 200 years. We have lived under this idea that, that humans are programmable, which we are, but not because we don't have souls. We have souls that reinforce our natural programming. That's more woo, which I host a show each day on woo-woo. Gets really interesting. Um, but this leads, let, let me fast forward up to where we're at now. Where we're at now is we're at the last war. This is the war for the global currency. Yeah, this is the war for the blockchain. This is where it gets interesting. Right, blockchain is a ledger of incorruptible information. We also know of it as AI, artificial intelligence. The precursor to AI was the Encyclopedia Britannica. The Encyclopedia Britannica was created by the progressive movement to set the common knowledge of the earthly reality. Now, now that we have technology, and now that we have computers, and it's all digital, all they're doing is recreating the Encyclopedia Botanica that the whole world will refer to as the truth. We're in a struggle for the truth. We're either gonna move forward with true history, or we're, or they are going to erase history, and through a few generations of artificial intelligence, no one on Earth will ever remember any of the real history. That was part of the agenda of World War One, World War Two. Uh, where we're at now. Look at what, it's one, uh, oh, bless you. It's one of the reasons that all of these left-wing communists, why they're tearing down all the statues. It's what they did in Egypt. Because they can't have any remnants of the old society moving forward. Because if you have remnants, you, you have questions. If you have questions that don't fit the common narrative, why don't you? What is this that we just you know, dug up? Why, where did this come from? Then you start to question the, the history. Once you question the history, you start to, you start to poke holes in the modern history. And you go, wait a second, none of this makes any sense. 
Well, the elites, the Illuminati, and if you don't believe there's a there's an Illuminati, Google George Washington's letters to London about the Illuminati. George Washington wrote letters about the Illum the Illuminati using the words Illuminati is those were the Caesarian Mafia who were involved with the Age of Enlightenment. That's why they were called the Illuminati. So you fast forward now, what they're doing now is, is they, and this is a long drawn out plan, folks. It's why the U.S. government has spent so much money to digitize everything, then destroy the physical. Because if you digitize everything, Hillary Clinton, oh, I accidentally deleted 30,000 emails. Don't worry, it was all just about yoga. Really? No. If you control the information, you control the world. Now, how do you automate that? How do you Googleize it? You create artificial intelligence, but you as the progressive movement, you determine what information sources the AI gets its information from. And if in the future, you're learning and you're asking AI, what is, um, what is a woman? Oh, there's no true definition for a woman. A woman can be a man dressed up like a woman with a hat on backwards. And, and that's how you, Confuse the programming of humans away from nature. And that's the ultimate goal is to, it is 1984. Two plus two is five. Well, I certainly see elements of that already yep. um, in our society. Um, that's why I'm in Bitcoin. It's yeah. the only thing that's not corrupted currency-wise. It's the only lifeboat. We're going digital whether we want to or not. And that's why BlackRock and all of these other major corporations, these major corporations, it's not like they're just... It isn't like they're a bunch of bad people sitting there going, hmm... These are just individuals that may be led by a bad board of directors. It isn't the CEOs usually, it's the board of directors. Because anyone who's ever worked for or been in high-level corporations, the CEO is just a front man. The CEO's just uh, you know, shaking hands and kissing babies and going so on. so here's the thing though if you you know if listening to this story 
what what is to become of Israel in your view? I think that there is a group of a large group of the world has partnered up and Trump is part of it. The American first group is part of it. And there are good entities in Israel, just like I said, there are good people. I think the invasion into Israel was on purpose by the good guys to set it off so they can go in and wipe out the bad guys of Israel and of Gaza. Right? Because let's think let's think about this deeply. Trump was able to move the the embassy into Jerusalem with no bloodshed. No. No, 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 no. They've been trying to do that for 40, 50 years. But there was always conflict. But all of a sudden, Trump purchases this old building, rehabs it for $150,000, and goes, is it okay if we move our embassy here? Well, Prior to this Israel invasion, Israel was not in a good place. They were having protests every day. It was getting bad in Israel. And then all of a sudden, this happens, and now Israel's united. The Israeli people, not the Kassarian Mafia. Now, the Kassarian Mafia, along with the CIA and the agents of Mossad, they run um, Hamas or Hamas. Uh, Hamas, yeah. Who do you think created Hamas? We did in the 1970s. We funded the creation of Hamas. Just like we funded the creation of Osama bin Laden. We funded all this. All of the all of the terrorist groups are CIA created. It's and if if you know the history, it's you know it's true. And what's going on now is that the good guys are wiping out the bad guys in Hamas. Because not everyone in Hamas is actually a bad guy. They're, they're the equivalent of the American first people for, I hate to use Palestine because there's actually never been a country no Palestine, but, but I digress. It's it is the age age old story of good versus evil. 
every country's got good guys and every country's got bad guys. Israel has their equivalent of what we call the deep state. So does Iran, so does Saudi Arabia. That's why a few years ago, the new prince or king of Saudi Arabia, that's why he arrested all of his uncles and his cousins because those were the people that were partnered with the Kassarian Jews and created this whole mess of the oil, um, the actual petrodollar. It, that was all them. What has happened? And that's why Canada, you know, Canada's in a pretty bad place because you don't really have a Trump, do you? I wouldn't say that we have a Trump, no. Yeah, but you do have people in your legislation that love your country. We, uh, oh, I would say so, yes. Yeah. All right. Well, y'all need to pick one of those. And, and literally put up a major campaign up against whatever the hell you call that prime minister up there. That guy, I know his brother, his half-brother. He's real yeah. big in... Kyle, yeah, he's been on this show a few times. Yeah. Yeah. And a great guy, a little bit of a hippie, but hey, they love me, you know? And, yeah. uh, but he's a great guy. He don't want to hurt nobody. He's like, let's just enjoy each other's freedom, you know. Mm-hmm. And and it's it's. But I believe because of the things I've witnessed and the things that the friends I have that there is a worldwide unified front against the global progressive movement. That's who we're at war with. That concerns me, Ben, and and maybe you'll get your thoughts on this. I I definitely see what you're seeing. Um, I see some cliches in there. I see alignments, you know, between countries taking place. I see the United States and Israel uh, becoming increasingly isolated. you know, maybe with Canada, the U.S., uh, Britain, um, you know, a, a handful of the others. Western world. Right. Yeah. Um, aligned against the BRICS nations, Russia, India, China, um, the South West Africa. World. You know, <laughs> right. So, yeah. and you said that we haven't been the good guy for a long time. We've actually been the bad guy. So... What what do you think needs to happen to the West? Because if if I, I you know when I listen to all of this and I look in the mirror and I say, oh my God, maybe the enemy is me, right? Um, especially if you buy into say this colonialism and and decoloni- decolonialization uh, narrative, then it's like, well, then how do we? Uh, 
reconcile all of that? How do we get to truth and reconciliation? How do we uh, address all of that after centuries of colonization, uh, which is another aspect of all of this? It, what's the answer? Is the United States, is Canada, is the Western world doomed? Is this the end of it all, or is it gonna? Is that what I, needs to happen in your estimation? Yes, this needs to happen. Um, we're in an abusive relationship with our government, and we need to recognize it and walk away. Okay, so just within the past few days, the head of the Canadian Defense Department. Wayne Ayers in Canada says that Canada is at war with Russia and China. Um, it was just in the National Post. Um, there's a report that came out. And, you know, it's not a kinetic war so much here, but he's saying that we are at war and um, in, a, in a very real way. And that, you know, so when I'm reading that and then I wrap my head around this narrative, which, you know, I've been you know, certainly sharing elements of this on this program for years. Um, and there's some truth in here for sure. But at the same time, I get concerned because it's like we're at war with China and Russia. And if this has to come down, are they the good guys then? Or are and we're the bad guys? So should we just like throw up the white flag and surrender to Russia and China? Or how does this play out? Get, I no. make sense of all of that for me. Uh, I, um, we are not going to go into a hot war. It's it's there's not there's not going to be nuclear escalation. There are there are people and entities that are making sure that that doesn't happen and is not capable of happening. Um, we, we are going to do what happened in Rome. Slowly but surely, the people are going to lose the faith in the government. And we are going to migrate away from giving them our attention. See, the reason they they write head, headlines like that is to keep us afraid, to keep us just hang, hanging on to any system that may save us. And just like any other system or any other organization, a, go a government's number one priority is for the government to exist. Well, what's going to happen over the next few years is that technology is going to move so quickly that the government is going to be the global government government structure is going to become obsolete because they 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 won't have our attention they won't be able to capture our attention people will 
will choose other sources of information, as we call the alternative media. Well, the alternative media is really just the real media, you know? And so, yes, there is going to be drama, but 90% of it is falsified drama. It's, it's keeping people afraid so they don't move away from a system that they already know is abusive. That's why I said we're in an, in an abusive relationship. So well, if this, so if if we get, so you're you're advocating for the uh, for the system to be dissolved in some way, yeah, to be replaced slowly. with with what? Uh, with whatever naturally evolves. What what whatever technologically evolves and wins. That's why I'm in Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. It it isn't because. I hope that I'm going to get rich. But sure. But oh. I mean, to just to, we'll come back to that in just a moment. But if we get rid of the government and the system of government that we have, we still as a society need some structure. We need laws. We need, uh, you know, some we need peace, order and good government, you know, as we say here in Canada to keep the peace. So people know what the rules are. So, you know, what the speed limit is. You know, That's all, all, all of these things, right? Right. What's going to happen, and, and it's what happened in Rome, it's happened in every other empire, or what's happened with Genghis Khan is, is humans centralize, then they decentralize. Then they centralize, then they decentralize. And we are at the precipice of a point where we are decentralizing, where all of the centralized entities have actually become so corrupted that we are we are, we are going to decentralize ourselves into local communities again. And with cryptocurrencies, it is, it's able to happen. Right? Prior to the U.S. government, as we know it, 1776, the, uh, the, 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 uh, the actual constitution, all that, we had another structure that was in place. And um, and it was the uh, the uh, the letters of uh, of, uh, of confederation. So America, prior to the the American Revolution, we ran under another group of documents. That made us an actual confederation, uh, which the only reason that that fell apart was the currencies. 
there was no way to interact. The currencies of of New York had its own currency. Uh, hell, like Maine had its own currency. They had the wheat. They had the Confederate dollar. They had uh, uh, the Mexican. Uh, uh, so what I, you're saying is that Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies offer a pathway to um, where you don't uh, need a, a federalist a, government. You don't a, need it, a the dissolution of, of governments around the world. Yep, around the globe, the federal government, these united federal governments that form into the United Nations so they're gonna dissolve. So if you have the BRICS nations like Russia, China, India, South Africa, if you look at those countries and they're trying to form their own system of currency, you know, Maybe. as I even look, I even look at you know th th that's very capitalistic in itself, but it is, but you know, I don't know if I would classify Russia today as a communist country. I would say China is, but they have some communistic elements to everything that they're doing. On the other side, it's the Western nations that are trying to hold on to their global dominance using the U.S. dollar. They don't want that to go away. They're trying to preserve that. With It appears that it's slipping away. And when I'm looking yeah, at sure. all of the unrest that's going on, I'm seeing you know, these outside adversaries china russia if we are indeed at war with them they are trying to disrupt things here and i'm seeing great evidence of that through information warfare where they actually would like to assert their authority here in some way as well uh where are we at with with all of this then then we are not at war with anybody they are at war with technology they are trying to cling on and co-opt technology to remain relevant. Technology is it, okay, and so we don't go too far down. Decentralizes everything naturally with the advancement of technology. Governments of the world are trying to cling on. Do something they can't grasp, which is where these CBDCs come in, right? And yep. you're—I think it's your view that CBDCs can't work, which is centralized nope. bank digital currencies. And why yep. can't they work like Bitcoin does? Well, number one, I know a few people that are involved in the coding of the U.S. Uh, digital currency. It's what the government doesn't understand is there are people writing the code that is is actually sabotaging the code. It's exactly what happened with Obamacare. If you're a coder and the government hires you as a cut, how do you do? destroy Troy. Trojan horse. Trojan horse. That's that's what because 
the people who know about blockchain and know how to write this code, they're not government friendlies. These aren't people like, yay, let's open up a few gulags. No, the blockchain and all of the code, they're libertarians. And these governments are so damn stupid and have such a, a lack of any type of true intellectual capabilities that they don't even understand. They're hiring the contractors who are planting the seeds of destruction into the bureaucracy none of it's going to work the fed now system it's live is it working not very good <laughs> because we're building it the american people are building it so we're like hey, throw in a little junk code here a little junk code there in, you know, in a way, everything that you're talking about here seems to, in a way, connect to the sovereign citizen movement and um, and all of that stuff. Is that accurate? Oh, absolutely. The sovereign citizen, the translation is just the sold individual. That's what sovereignty is. Is, is it a sold Entity. That's O U L. Soul in where nowadays, you know, nations are sovereign, not individuals. See, after the Civil War, what happened with America? They didn't free any slaves, they just enslaved all of us. They created a civilization. See, civilization is, is not, it doesn't mean what people think it means. A civilization is a legal term. It is, it is the labor force of a corporation is referred to as the, the civil of the corporation, also known as the human, uh, uh, what do the communists call it? Uh, human resources, right? Mm -hmm. After the Civil War, what happened was they changed us, they changed legal systems. That's what the re construction after the Civil War was. It wasn't that they were rebuilding buildings. They were changing the legal structure because the Civil War was not about slavery because there weren't any slaves. What they were were indentured servants. That's a completely different entity than a slave. In fact, actually, Benjamin Franklin was an indentured servant to his brother who owned a printing press. 
and he did not work out his full contract. So Benjamin Franklin was actually a runaway slave because he ran away from his contractual obligation. What would you say to people who... Uh, would it bother you if I smoked? No, you go ahead. It's uh, it's your studio. Yep. All, <laughs> all of this oxygen is just killing me. <laughs> what would you say to, to, to those who would describe this whole interview as anti-Semitic? As anti-Semitic? Yeah, because we were talking about the Kazarian Jews, Israel. Um, I'd say you know, they're so, stupid. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's your lack of knowledge doesn't make me wrong. Mm-hmm. I don't, the plus, I, I really have very little patience for people who throw out Hollywood words and go, now feel bad. Okay, so so where does that leave us, though, though, Ben? Even the word anti-Semitic. Because, number one, see what the definition of Semite is. And I bet Mm -hmm. they don't know. They're usually ignorant, stupid people who don't have a clue about history, which I don't blame them. It's the the education system has failed them. And I don't hate Jewish people. That's like hating black people. It doesn't make any sense. That's the equivalent of driving down the road, getting hit by another car, then jumping out and yelling at the color of the car. Mm-hmm. I, I just, you know, I just wonder kind of where we're, we're going right now because I do see, you know, we just did an interview just prior to this with you, with um, somebody about like another journalist about what happened at the, um, the, the airport in Dagestan with a lot of Muslims kind of, chasing or or looking for Israelis arriving at the airport that they thought might be immigrants or refugees. And they were angry about it. I see so many people are protesting pro-Palestine in the streets and there are concerns out there that, you know, this might lead to, if you, if we, if support from Israel is withdrawn, Israel could be wiped off the map. If you could, could you know, massive extinction, it could lead to a Holocaust. On the other side, you see Israel committing war crimes, too, against the Palestinian people. And, you know, it's the civilians suffering all the way around, right? So uh, (laughs) this is the issue, is everyone wants to be free, but no one wants to address who we're getting free from. It's there are bad guys. And they need to be dealt with. Are some of them Jewish? Yes. Are some of them American? Yes. Are some of them Canadian? Yes. Are and, some of them Australian? Yes. And, and so to kind of help narrow the narrow and sort of kind of just kind of keep keep it focused for people, I guess it would be your estimation that the people to be held accountable 
would be the Kazarian Jews who are really the elite. And among them would be people you would describe what as Gentiles, the people who are maybe not Jewish, but have been pulled into their fold and put up front as sort of front men for, for their operations to run some corporations who are um, involved Absolutely. in their whole scheme. Is that the idea? Well, it's, it, it isn't just the Kassarian mafia. It's the Chinese mafia. It's, mm -hmm. it's the American mafia. It's the Mexican mafia. Now, when I say mafia, what would that what, include these other countries from the BRICS nations like Russia, oh, absolutely. You know, India, Russian all of mafia. them? Mm -hmm. Some of them are the worst of the Russian mafia. Mm -hmm. You know, they're horrible people. Yeah. It's this is never gonna end. We're not gonna wipe out bad people. There's always there's always gonna be more bad people that rise up. Because it's human nature, we're flawed. Yeah. yeah. My grandfather used to tell me, peace is not the lack of violence. Peace is the abundance of freedom. That's what peace is. When everyone else recognizes everyone else's freedom, is when we have peace. I so can agree with that. If if we're at war, and we all agree we're at war, it's who are we at war against? I'm at war with anybody who thinks that they can control or manipulate some other sovereign individual. Mm -hmm. Freedom is the only system where everyone's happy with their options, not their outcomes. And that's, mm -hmm. that's what we need to start teaching again. That's why God gave us some pretty general, easy rules to follow. There were only ten of them. If, yeah. if really God or the Creator of the universe or whatever you want to call him or her or it or the collective conscious or whatever, humans must have freedom in order to thrive and grow. The only way you improve is through messing up. And you have to have the freedom to make a mistake so you learn from that. And that, that is a system, it's called nature. Nature is a system of actual balance, natural balance. There's yin and yang, there's good and bad, but good and bad 
is actually judged at the individual level. Progressives who honestly believe that they're doing the best for humanity, maybe not for the individuals, but for humanity overall. Well, in order to have that philosophy, you have to devalue the individual. And that's the whole issue with our world, is we devalue the things we should value, like currency. Currency is labor. Labor is human time. It's the only thing we have a limited supply of as an individual. Interesting. You know, when Hitler um, addressed the issue of currency, he backed up his currency with the labor of the people in order to establish his economy. Yep. Not, not gold. He used labor as, uh, as his benchmark. Yep. And... and uh, and what we're going to do moving forward is we are going to digit, digitalize. And, and if, you digit, if you digitize the currency and make it uncorruptible so that the countries, so that nation states uh, cannot access it, they can't tax you, they, can, they have no revenue source, which is why they are afraid of it. And that takes their ability to function as a governing entity away and puts well, it entirely in the hands of the people. Not if they do it right. Now, this mm -hmm. is something else. This is something else about the actual Bitcoin that a lot of people don't understand yet. It is the first time in human history that we do not have physical commodity that backs up the currency. Right. It is literally pure energy. Bitcoin is actually created through the use of energy to calculate mathematical calculations in a computer. So what we have basically done is we've taken every energy source imaginable and monetized it instantly. Now, what does that mean, Bitcoin, Ben? That means a, uh, a waterfall out in the middle of nowhere. No one lives by it, nothing. You can monetize that energy and you take the monetization of that energy and you apply it into your economic system and you, you, you can use the monetization of it as a way to pay for your country's needs where you don't have to actually tie funding of the civil society into the labor of the society. You can monetize it with natural resources like El Salvador did 
with their volcano. The energy is coming out of the out of the volcano in the form of heat that turns a turbine that generates electricity that actually mines the Bitcoin, that the Bitcoin now has a global value of about $34,000 per Bitcoin. And then El Salvador is going to sell the Bitcoin and have their roads resurfaced. That leaves out the individual's labor. That frees up the individual instantly. Where each individual of the country is no longer a slave to the needs of the government or the needs of the community. And the scarcity of energy plays into the value of the Bitcoin. And the countries with the most energy will be the most prosperous, the people who live there and can access that energy and the digital currency will be the most prosperous and the most independent or sovereign, which is why also we see governments, including Canada, very specifically within the last week, I've taken very close note of references to um, the conservative leader here in Canada, Pierre Polyev, being asked a lot of questions about hydroelectric power. And because Canada has more water probably than any other country on the face of the planet, this is potentially the most resource-rich country in the world because as they are trying to transition from fossil fuels and like to solar and wind, they need to stabilize the power grid. And the way to do that is through pumped storage electric power. And by what I'm talking about there is you need elevated areas like mountains and an abundance of water and create reservoirs. And then during peak times of generation, through solar and wind, you pump the, the, the water up into a reservoir. And then at night when there's no sun or when there's no wind, you then use the, the gravitational force of the water to generate electricity through hydroelectric dams, which are man-made. And you're basically terraforming using geoengineering to create constant flows of stable power that is green if you're going to transition away from oil and that makes constant, constant energy, which ultimately translates into currency and ultimate value and individual sovereignty and freedom. Is that a pretty good estimation of it? You nailed it. You nailed it. It's, it's the natural evolution of humanity because humans what we do is we is we 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 always look for efficiencies mm-hmm. that's what human brain that's what we process we look for the most efficient unless you're in government way of doing things 
And you look at the most profitable with the least resistance. And that's what Bitcoin is. It's, it's, if every single government came out and said what I just said, if we use our natural resources and we adopt the Bitcoin as a decentralized, globally accepted currency, those countries that actually actually adopted the fastest win. Plus, this is something, and this is what the progressives are really worried about. Bitcoin is the only currency that libertarians love and communists love because of this. Libertarians love just what you described. And communists love it because even the richest man in the world, when we're on a digital currency like Bitcoin, the economic energy generated by the richest man in the world goes into the same currency that the poorest man in the world uses, which raises the value of the poorest man's currency. So the rich are now actually tied into a currency that brings all ships up. Except that I don't think the communists ultimately are going to like this because if they can't (laughs) tax it and redistribute it the way they want to redistribute it to ensure equality, they're not going to like it very much, which is why we're seeing this global struggle uh, between nation states and even sovereign citizen movements to control the resources, to control the energy and ultimately control whatever the world dominant currency will be. Yes, let me rephrase that. I shouldn't have said communist. What I should have said is the honest, good people that have been confused into communism. Mm -hmm. Those are the who genuine... Libertarians, I can understand. They want... Right. the least amount of government control and even anarchists would advocate for central bank or sorry um uh, cryptocurrencies and bitcoin in particular right but and communists i can't i don't think that ultimately they're right. going to be in favor of uh, that at all you're actually talking about like the communist bureaucrats right yeah. because ultimately that system even though they say it's for the common man historically it, is. it isn't it's no. always about somebody at the top controlling everything and deciding how the money and the re- and the the, the yeah. wealth is redistributed to the masses who i'm actually talking about in that scenario is the um i guess you would call them the useful idiots 
-hmm. of the communistic structure. The people on the bottom, you know, once, I don't know if they can actually smarten up enough to get it, but hopefully they will, is once they realize what Bitcoin really is, they'll run. scanner <laughs> is once they realize the actual structure that it creates the good people that have been tricked into socialism and communism and fascism through a while they're gonna go oh you know owning this whole like bitcoin thing if more and more little guys, truck drivers, had exposure to a currency like this, as more and more of the manufacturing and the GDP of each of the countries are valued, or at least tied into the equation of actual Bitcoin, then the whole world rises in wealth together. And through the advancement of technology, humans could easily work one or two days a week. And there's no reason why robots couldn't actually be employees of individuals. Look. At Tesla, that's what Tesla's actually doing with their driverless cars. If you buy one in the evening or during the day, if you're not using it, you can have it act like an Uber, where it goes out and picks up people. Well, you're not working and you aren't driving it, but it's your employee. Look well, that AI. would that would in itself be a form of capitalism because the car represents physical capital. If you control that capital, you control the means of production and you become a capitalist and then it produces wealth for you that you can live off without actually using your own physical labor. That's capitalism. That's capitalism. And and it's honest, honest capitalism because a currency is incorruptible. Yeah. And people shouldn't be afraid of something like that, because even though it's technology and it's it's new, um, we've seen technology transform society before. And really, yep. uh, that kind of thing can improve the standard of living for everyone, not just yep. the capitalist, because yeah, the people it's... taking advantage of the service also benefit. So it becomes a win win through the the exchange of your digital currency. Yep. If. If I traveled back in time and I showed someone in 1850 this iPhone, it would scare the hell out of them. Mm -hmm. yeah. It would be a magic something, you know, and it would frighten them. Well, that's where we're at now. It's just we don't have history to reflect on yet because it hasn't happened. But we'll be fine. We will, we will do what human, 
exact we will adapt to the technology and the jobs lost i don't think we're going to lose many jobs i think we're going to gain it'll will create hours. new kinds of jobs it will create new opportunities it will free humanity to pursue other things and create wealth in other ways it's that's what's always happened through history whenever there's technological change whether it was the uh, the evolution of the assembly line or uh yep. you know radio waves whatever it is people are afraid of it the luddites were afraid that technology was going to take their jobs away workers on farms were afraid the tractors would replace them well sometimes it does result in disruption or displacement but people ultimately find other forms of employment and and usually yeah, opportunities. That's exactly creates new opportunities. It's not a zero sum game. It's uh, and the capitalists are not to blame for the disruption. That's just new technology. It actually um, is. It's creating new opportunities for everyone. And even though the capitalists might profit from that new technology because they sent their car out to perform an Uber service. Yeah, they profit and rightly so because they invested and took the risk up front. So they deserve the payback, the profit, if you will, but the person taking the ride also benefits. They, their life is better because now they have a service and all yep. the people who take advantage of it. And maybe that gets them to work in a more yep. efficient way so that they it costs them less and they can then pursue their employment and doing whatever they're doing. Yeah. So it's it's this stuff people should not be afraid of. They just need to recognize it as new opportunities, not the elimination of their job. Is that fair? You, you are dead on. I'm a perfect example. That's why I'm everybody's favorite ex-truck driver. <laughs> Because right. I literally, I here, uh, here's the slogan for my show. Join the new rich revolution. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 as as technology advances, the. Uh, People will recognize the opportunity than just transition to the next opportunity. You know, when um, when we when we transitioned from uh, regular mail into email, yeah, there were some people that lost their jobs, but at the human level. I look at life completely different. If I lost my job, I I didn't feel bad. It was, well, look for an opportunity. And right now, that's why I do what I do. That's why I opened the club. Is there is so I literally own I'm up to 14 different companies now because there's so much opportunity, but yet there's so little encouragement for the people in the society 
to entrepreneur themselves into this new rich revolution that is the digital shareable economy. And one of the actual companies I own is a software company. And what we do is we monetize word of mouth advertising. And it's it's so simple that that every single company that I've approached with my software, they're like, hell yes. Number one, the software is free to them. There's no cost. The software makes money in the transaction and and it actually rewards the clients of each of the companies. So it takes your clientele and it turns them into your salespeople. And it actually makes the most marketing asset which is word of mouth because all marketing is is talking someone in to trusting your product or trusting your service well if you can actually take a service or a product put it in an app that your clients can share on their social media and your clients are rewarded with Bitcoin for sharing a service that they love or they like, then it's a win-win for everybody. Because the company, let's say it's a, a perfect example, the pizza place right down the road here. They have an app. Well, what if their app has an affiliate software in it like mine, where if you love that pizza, you share it on Facebook. You share the app for that, and you're like, best pizza I've ever had. Then one of your friends clicks that link and order the pizza, and you actually make a little percentage of what they purchase that pizza for, and it goes in your private wallet. It's a win-win for everybody because the actual pizza place, they have to advertise anyway, so there's an advertised cost actually built in with their product. Would you rather pay your clientele to spread the word? Absolutely you would, because it's a reward program for your clientele. Number two, that's going to keep the pizza place honest. Because if you produce a bad quality pizza, uh, you're not going to get many shares. Mm-hmm. You're going to treat your clientele like you treat your best salesperson. 
And that is what the digitalization of the economy is gonna, it's, it's gonna monetize and, and create efficiency and create responsibility in the economy like we've never seen. The bad actors won't be able to hide in a digital commodity or in a digital system. Because like the internet, I said this years ago, when I first learned out, learned about the internet, well, pretty soon no one will have the ability to lie. And none of my friends understood it. I should think about it. If you have an online presence, an online identity that you create yourself, you're not going to be able to lie because people will be able to go back and go, well, that's not what you said here. Mm. No, when you put out a tweet, that's your opinion. That's you putting out your ideas. So, I mean, more accurately, what you're saying is if you do lie, you're going to get caught. Yes. So you'll be held yes. accountable. Yes. I would, Which... I would, I would argue that we are in an era where lying is becoming an industry unto itself because of propaganda. <laughs> I would agree. <laughs> and, and crazy stuff that's being produced to make us think things. Um, and with artificial intelligence, we're seeing, you know, various entities trying to even manipulate the results of elections and so on. Yep. So, I mean, that's all dangerous, but I do understand what you're saying. But it all goes back to the government. The yeah. only entities that have a vested interest in, in, in the in systems that are not honest are the entities in that system. That's it. And everyone in a corrupt system wants every other system to be honest, except theirs. <laughs> Which, yeah. what is above is below. That trickles down to the in individual. Everyone will go to their death for their own freedom. But nobody values the other guy's freedom. I want to be free, but not that guy. That guy shouldn't be free. That guy shouldn't be able to say that. But I should be able to say what I want. What we need to realize is that in order for one of us to be free, we all have to be free. It's very true. And that's why I get so concerned when I see people um, complaining that they're being censored only to then when, you know, they have the, you know, they, they'll abuse it on the other side when they get to say what they want, but somebody disagrees with them. They point at the other guy and say, Oh no, that guy has to be censored. No, you have to accept free speech across the board because 
if that guy's being censored, you can be censored. Uh, it's it's it. That's the only solution ultimately. Yep, and and it's the only way that we get better. Yeah. How do you learn how to get really good at football? You go against people that are better than you at football. You don't want people who who aren't as good as you, which means you have to play everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone has to contribute ideas and thoughts then we have to argue about it and and honest players will go you know what you're right that is a better idea what we need to do is get away from trying to win and actually get back to trying to improve. Because you can yeah. cheat and win, but you can't cheat and improve. Yeah. Well, Ben, can you tell us just because we're, I know the clock is ticking, you've got other things to do. But can you explain how your crypto club works? That's a, it's, I mean, it's an actual physical place in Sarasota yep. and you have some other physical locations. How does all that work? Well, um, we also have a website which has like all of the information you need for like learning what is Bitcoin, what's Ethereum, what's blockchain. We got a ton of, of, of education material. We offer a ton of products, um, and uh, I have every show I actually do is on a channel on our website called FGTV, and um, and it's really if you live near Sarasota, you. Come in, have a drink. We uh, we have classes. We have one on ones. We you actually get to look at a person and ask questions in real time, so you have that that classroom environment of of. Question, answer, question, answer, question, answer, where you can reach the the actual knowledge you want, asking the real-time questions that you actually find relevant. Now, we have our location here. We're opening another location in Tennessee. Then. We're launching a lot of locations, but if if you want to join the website, and it's very interactive. I mean, there's so many videos on there of like how tos, how do you buy Bitcoin, how do you move Bitcoin, how you know why is it important, why is it, but how do they mine it, what is that? What's an algorithm? What's cryptography? Uh, 
you know, all this stuff. All of the answers are there laid out very simply, and you can join it for $29.99 a month, and you can watch it online, learn online, uh, everything on our website will get you where you need to be, where you can feel confident with getting involved. And if you have a problem, we have a telephone number. That Now, this here, this is not our club's information. Uh, this is actually one of my other, uh, hang on one second, let me switch this. The uh, name and head, headlines. I'll actually, uh, I'll actually put up. Oh, I don't have it here. Oh, it's not available on here. Right. Um, go to www.bitcoinbendcryptoclub.com. Or you just Google my name, and it should actually pop up relatively close to the top. I have so Bitcoin five. Ben's Crypto Club. Yep, in Sarasota, Florida. Dot com. Yep. All right, so there it is. Is I that correct? Yes, sir. Yep. www.bitcoinbenscryptoclub.com. Yep, and when you join, you become an affiliate. So you can earn money sharing your affiliate code once you join. So if you have another friend who's like, hey, I want to learn about it, you shoot him or her your link, you actually get a percentage of what they pay every month for the membership. And it's actually paid out on an either PayPal or in actual Bitcoin. And it's three levels deep. So you share it with your friend. He joins. You actually get 10%. If he shares it and one of his friends join, you actually get 5% of his friends. Then if that guy shares it, you get... 2% of your friends, friends, friends. And it's all because of blockchain technology. Well, that's pretty cool. And uh, that's the future. <laughs> Absolutely, brother. Absolutely. Yeah. Hey, I had a great time. This was a great call. Thank I, I've enjoyed this very much as well. It's... Uh, it's it's touched on many things that you know I personally have a lot of interest in economics, politics, current affairs, the future. Thank you, Ben. It is true. Pleasure. Yeah, um, I, I, love I, I I'll love to have you come back on in the future because there's so much more I know we can explore. So, um, whenever you, you need me, just reach out and I'll gladly gladly come on. All right. My, my pleasure today. Thank you, sir, very, very much. Ladies and gentlemen, Bitcoin Ben.
the new world order. Government overreach. The Great Reset. Mainstream media lies. Now more than ever. Independent voices are needed. Donate now. At. Freedomreporters.com That's. Freedomreporters.com Maverick News. The antivirus program. For your mind. We are Mavericks. We say no to the Trudeau and Biden New World Order. And to bugs. Because bugs are creepy and gross. And people should not eat bugs. Maverick News. The world is watching. I'm back and a big thank you to Bitcoin Ben for joining us on the program. That was a pretty in-depth interview. We explored a lot of uh, a lot of different things there. Uh, also tonight, Canada's Foreign Affairs Minister Melanie Jolie says time is uh, running out to provide humanitarian aid to Gaza to the Palestinians there. She was speaking to the Economic Club of Canada in Toronto and called for a temporary pause in hostilities in the Israel-Hamas conflict to allow more aid to get into Hamas-controlled Gaza. Of course, over 2 million Palestinians live there. And she says that the Canadian government has an obligation to help its citizens get out Global Affairs Canada is saying that uh, it is in contact with almost 500 Canadians, permanent residents and family members who are in the territory. She also called on Hamas to release the uh, the 200 approximate approximately 200 hostages that are being held in Gaza. And she says that among them there could be two Canadians who are still missing. I have a short clip of Julie here this evening. And uh, she says that there is a tectonic shift happening in the, the global world order. And here's Melanie Jolie. The world is at an inflection point. We're in the midst of a geopolitical rebalancing. Global powers are shifting their weight to disrupt the peace that Canadians fought and gave their lives for. As increasingly frequent and complex crises shake the foundation of the system that has kept us safe. We must now chart a path towards building a steady footing for our children. Reinforce the international system that has brought about global stability. And reshape it 
to become more inclusive. Canadians can be assured that our eyes are wide open to this challenge. And we are dedicated to ensuring that Canada and our diplomats around the world are equipped to tackle these challenges. And I commit to providing Canadians with an update of this work each year. In addition to that tonight, the Israeli, there's a, um, a new concept paper that is being released by Israel, which proposes transferring Gaza civilians to Egypt's Sinai uh, and then cue the immigration. The ultimate destination might end up being Canada. So they're looking at moving large numbers of Palestinians out of the Gaza Strip, relocating them, setting up a tent city temporarily, and then moving many of them to other countries, many of them potentially moving to Canada. What did I say when this war broke out? I said, and cue the immigration. Of course, where are they going to send people? Canada. Canada. Maybe some to the States, but Canada. Of course. Definitely Canada. And we have a... Um, Benjamin Netanyahu here. And stay tuned too, because I have this uh, smash and grab ATM teller footage from Leo, which we still are going to run tonight. And here's Benjamin Netanyahu. Come on, Benjamin. Until recently. What's going on? Come on, play. Go. Many believed that the promise of progress in the 21st century would enable us to move beyond the barbaric horrors of the past towards a better and brilliant future. Many believed that we could go about our comfortable lives and that evil will simply pass us by. It will not. The horrors that Hamas perpetrated on October 7th remind us that we will not realize the promise of a better future unless we, the civilized world, are willing to fight the barbarians. Because the barbarians are willing to fight us. And their goal is clear. Shatter that promising future. Destroy all that we cherish. And usher in a world of fear and darkness. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a turning point, a turning point for leaders and nations. It is time for all of us to decide if we are willing to fight for a future of hope and promise or surrender to tyranny and terror. Now rest assured, Israel will fight. Since October 7th, Israel has been at war. Israel did not start this war. Israel did not want this war, but Israel will win this war. Hamas launched this war by perpetrating the worst savagery our people have seen since the Holocaust. 
Hamas murdered children in front of their parents, murdered parents in front of their children. They burned people alive. They raped women. They beheaded men. They tortured Holocaust survivors. They kidnapped babies. They committed the most horrific crimes imaginable. And they're part of the axis of evil that Iran has formed, an axis of terror that works by arming, training, and financing Hamas in Gaza, Hezbollah in Lebanon, the Houthis in Yemen, and other terror proxies throughout the Middle East and beyond the Middle East. In fighting Hamas and the Iranian axis of terror, Israel is fighting the enemies of civilization itself. Victory over these enemies begins with moral clarity. It begins with knowing the difference between good and evil, between right and wrong, it means making a moral distinction between the deliberate murder of the innocent and the unintentional casualties that accompany every legitimate war, even the most just war. It means holding Hamas responsible for the double war crime it commits every day by deliberately targeting Israeli civilians while deliberately using Palestinian civilians as human shields. It means making clear that the use of human shields is not only an immoral tactic of terror, but also an ineffective one. Because as long as Hamas's use of Palestinian human shields result in the international community blaming Israel, Hamas will continue to use it as a tool of terror, and so will others. Hamas will continue to use the basements in Gaza's hospitals as the command posts of its vast terror tunnel network. It will continue to use mosques as fortified military positions and weapon depots. It will continue to steal fuel and humanitarian assistance from UN facilities. While Israel is doing everything to get Palestinians, civilians out of harm's way, Hamas is doing everything to keep Palestinian civilians in harm's way. Israel urges Palestinian civilians to leave the areas of armed conflict, while Hamas prevents those civilians from leaving those areas at gunpoint. Hamas is also preventing foreign nationals from leaving Gaza altogether. And most despicably, Hamas is holding over 200 Israeli hostages, including 33 children, holding them, terrorizing them, keeping them as hostages. Every civilized nation should stand with Israel in demanding that these hostages be freed immediately and freed unconditionally. I want to make clear Israel's position regarding a ceasefire. Just as the United States would not agree to a ceasefire after the bombing of Pearl Harbor or after the terrorist attack of 9-11, Israel will not agree to a cessation of hostilities with Hamas after the horrific attacks of October 7th. Calls for a ceasefire are calls for Israel to surrender to Hamas, to surrender to terrorism, to surrender to barbarism. That will not happen. Ladies and gentlemen, the Bible says that there is a time for peace and a time for war. This is a time for war, a war for our common future. Today, we draw a line between the forces of civilization and the forces of barbarism. It is a time for everyone to decide where they stand. Israel will stand against the forces of barbarism until victory. I hope and pray that civilized nations everywhere will back this fight. Because Israel's fight is your fight. Because if Hamas and Iran's axis of evil win, 
you will be their next target. That's why Israel's victory will be your victory. But make no mistake, regardless of who stands with Israel, Israel will fight until this battle is won and Israel will prevail. May God bless Israel and may God bless all those who stand with Israel. Difficult times. In other news, we are mouth of the south. Action news reporter was on the scene after, I guess, a stolen water truck or a truck was used to demolish an instant teller machine a drive at a drive-through location. A Toronto Dominion Bank bank machine taken out by this vehicle. For obvious reasons, it was a, an intended smash and grab. This happened in Windsor, Ontario, Canada. The video that Leo has shot has gone viral of this. Here's the media release from Windsor Police. Bring it up on the screen so you can see this. Windsor Police Service, case number 23-126208. Windsor Police have arrested a man after a stolen truck was used to smash a cash machine at approximately 10 p.m. So, yes, this was yesterday. Police were called to the 2400 block of Dougal Ave for a report of a hit and run. Upon arrival, officers discovered a drive-up ATM that had been destroyed. Through investigation, officers learned that a male suspect used a construction truck to smash into the ATM several times. The construction water truck was located near the scene with significant damage. Further investigation revealed that it had been stolen from the area of Lillian Avenue and Allendale Street. Police obtained a detailed description of the suspect and quickly located and arrested a 45-year-old man. Following the arrest, officers found surveillance video that captured the suspect attempting to steal a commercial truck before driving the water truck into the ATM. William Bigelow is charged with mischief over five grand times two. Possession of property obtained by crime over $5,000. Attempted theft over $5,000. Anyone with information is asked to call the target base unit at 519-255-6700, extension 4350. They can also contact Windsor and Essex County Crime Stoppers anonymously at 519-258-8477. That's 519-258-TIPS or online at catchcrooks.com. Catchcrooks.com. And police have released a photo, there it is, of the scene. So there's a photo, but we have something better. We have that same angle, same shot, and other angles as well from the scene of the crime, thanks to Leo, Mouth of the South. And let's let that roll 
right now. Check this shit out. Talk about a cash withdrawal. <laughs> I guess so. This was where the ATM was on Dougal. Check this shit out. <laughs> what the hell happened here? Yeah. Pardon? The key holder? No, no, no. I'm with uh, Maverick Multimedia doing a story. So the guy hit it with the truck. Did he get away? He got away? They caught him trying to get the money, eh? So this is the ATM. It smoked. Wow. This is shit you see in the really big cities. So some dude was uh, trying to do a smash and grab, we'll call it. Use the vehicle. And there's debris all over the parking lot. And I'm getting wet. Wow. There's the alarm. Is that that blowhorn? Police would be here. So I think the money machine is over there. It got smoke right out of there. So that's a cash machine over here where he's security sitting. When times are rough, times are hard. Here's your fucking Christmas card. That's that's the money box. Brutal. Fucking brutal. So you're getting it here from the mouth of the south, the man without a plan, the master of all disasters, but I didn't create this disaster tonight.
brain machine. The struggling economy that's happening, expect more of this kind of shit. Rained on bad. <laughs> wow. Bet the guy didn't get so somebody five. wanted to make a withdrawal. Yeah. They certainly I did. Sit in my vehicle. I'm getting pissed on. We'll go for a little ride. And here's the money box. So they got into that, look it. They got right into it, tore it right up. Brutal. And this is where I used to sit. This is where this is where I do my banking, me and my wife. Wow. Expect a lot more of this to go on. So with that being said, thanks for watching Insanity in the City of Windsor. Quite a story. And yeah, Leo, his Facebook page, check him out. Uh, go check out his work. That video, he tells me, is now, I guess, approaching something like 50,000 views. So yeah, that has gone viral. And uh, the guy who did that, well, <laughs> let's just say somebody's got a court date coming up real soon. So uh, I guess uh, I guess police made quick work of that. Quite a tale. Well, folks, that gets us. Wow, look at that. We're just moments away from 11 p.m. on this, the 30th day of October. Oh, you know what I should do here? I believe it's Devil's Night in Detroit. Let me just see if there's any live footage. Not sure checking to see if there's devil's night footage here it's always a terrible thing over in detroit devil's night and i assume some other cities too but detroit has a real history and a real problem with arsonists on um devil's night
just checking to see if uh, there's anything coming in. Yeah. Not sure. Probably some here. Let me just take a quick break. I'll come back on the other side. If I can find some footage, I'll share that with you before we wrap up for the night. Just take a quick break. I shall return right after this. Greetings, brave mavericks. Our quest for truth continues. We go beyond fake news. Together we expose propaganda. Together we pull others out of rabbit holes. We are maverick thinkers. We are all unique individuals, individuals, defenders of individual rights and freedoms, credible, trusted, grounded in reality. Maverick News, Maverick News. Defending free speech, free speech, speech. Donate at freedomreporters.com. Do it now. Tomorrow may be too late. Too late. Too late. Maverick News. The world is watching. So it looks like we have a good news story on our hands here, actually. Um, it looks like the number of fires is down dramatically this year in the city of Detroit because we know that traditionally Devil's Night tonight, this night, um, hundreds of fires are normally set across the city. But uh, they've made a lot of efforts there to put an end to all of that destruction. And it looks like the number of fires is way down this year. I don't have a, an exact number. We probably won't get that until morning. But it's, uh, yeah, it looks like overall things are much better this year. And they have had a dramatic decrease in, uh, in previous years too. So that's something we'll take a look at probably again tomorrow and update the situation for you. Until then, I'm... Your host, Rick Walker, and I will be back tomorrow night, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Thank you, everyone, for joining me here tonight, and thank you to Bitcoin Ben again for joining us here on the program. Oh, long broadcast, but five hours tonight. We'll have a lot more to talk about tomorrow evening, 6 p.m. Eastern, on the flip side. This has been a Maverick Multimedia Productions.